What's spring like in Park City, Utah? Imagine waking up on a bluebird day to ski the greatest snow on earth at two world-class resorts, Park City Mountain and Deer Valley. Exploring miles of wide-open spaces by snowshoe or cross-country skis. Wandering our historic Main Street with its opera ski scene and award-winning restaurants. When you love it like we love it, Park City, Utah will always be winter's favorite town. Join the experience at visitparkcity.com. New York's talk station with the king of New York. Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. Such a perfect song, Rage Against the Machine. It wasn't like the uh, lead member of Rage Against the Machine that basically discombobulated and all went in their own directions because one of them was insane in the brain and the other one was a card-carrying communist. So am I right about that? A card-carrying communist. But I want you to fire up. Rage against the machine because it is so pertinent to what I'm going to be talking about, which is nothing of which has been said by any other pundit, by any other host or hostess here at WABC or the Fox News Channel or MSNBC. Wait a second. Give me more of that. I, I need that. I, come on. Replay that again. Yeah, yeah. Start it. Start it. Do you hear? What the song is from the album, Evil Empire. Who's the Evil Empire? Russia! Rally round the family with a pocket full of shells. Rally round the family with a pocket full of shells. And those ain't seashells, baby. Those are shells from Kalishnikov. Fire on! And haven't we been here before, ladies and gentlemen? Haven't we been here before? As Vladimir Putin has been villainized by almost the entire globe. You know, everybody loves victims. Like when we were attacked on 9-11, everybody loved America, even those that hated our guts. Oh, we love victims, right? When you're down, when you're getting trashed and killed and stomped on and burnt and incinerated. Oh. The whole world loves you when you're a victim. But when all of a sudden you're strong and you're flexing and you got the power and you're in control, it's like rage against the machine. Now, ladies and gentlemen, that's not any kind of a song that you would ever hear at WABC. Can you imagine uh, Sid Rosenberg and (laughs) Bernard McGurk playing Rage Against the Machine? Not. Can you imagine <laughs> Greg Kelly? Greg, what? What's that? Can you imagine Michael Bonacic, Rudy Giuliani? He'd have a helmet on after listening to that song. He would think the invasion has begun. 
the revolution will be televised. Uh, and then, of course, Bo Snurdly, Bo Snurdly said, what the hell is that? That's not Barry White. And then you'd have the Cats Roundtable at five. No way. You would never hear music like that because all the guests would abandon ship. Mark Levin? No, 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 no. Rage guys. Kami, Kami. Kill him, Kami. And then Bill O'Reilly? Absolutely not. Rita Cosme? Forget about that. Dominic Carter? He, first of all, he can't even sing in the shower stall. Never mind. Sing along with the words, rally round the family with a pocket full of shells. And Frank Morano, who's too busy lip-syncing the lines, Rudy Valley, can you spare a dime? You know, uh, Eddie Cantor, uh, Al Jolson, you know, that's his speed. Only on the Curtis Lewis show are you going to hear rage against the machine so pertinent to the discussion today. Let me take you back to a time when I was campaigning side-by-side with a man who, against all odds, became the governor of the state of New York. And it harkens me back because tomorrow I will be in Garden City in Nassau County for the start of the New York State Republican Convention. And one of the speakers who will be there is the former governor, George Pataki, who nobody ever thought would become governor when he took on the task of taking out Mario Fachapruta Cuomo, King Cuomo I, Uh, who was destined to be either president of the United States or a United States Supreme Court justice. And as you know, on, on that mountainside there in South Dakota, with the chiseled feature of George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, um, Abraham Lincoln, and not FDR. No, FDR didn't make the grade. But Teddy Roosevelt, Mount Rushmore. They were fashioning a fifth position for Mario Fata, Br- Fata Bruta Como, who, by the way, had such a big schnoz, they couldn't figure out how they would get that chiseled into the mountainside. And out of nowhere, a guy named George Pataki, who had been the mayor of Peekskill, New York, unexpectedly won a state assembly manic race and a state senate race and was one of six, one of six who were running in a Republican primary to uh, have the misfortune of running against Mario Cuomo. It was assumed that Mario Cuomo, on his way to the presidency, would turn whatever Republican of the six survived the process into a speed bump. And against all odds, George Pataki persevered. And I remember it was uh, a morning in which I was fired from WABC. Not the first time. Angels in the morning. That's right. I'll never forget the program director, John Manelli, sat both I and my wife at the time, Lisa, down and said, you had a great three-year run on the Great White Broadway, Roadway, Broadway, and it's now time to pack your bags and get the hell out of here. You got an hour to pack your stuff and all my clutter, right? You got an hour. Get the hell out of here. And I had committed that night to speak at the Yale Club, a place that would never accept me, not even in the servant's entrance, never mind the uh, the attending entrance. And I remember there was a guy named Rob Ryan, the campaign manager, and he was surprised. He was shocked to see that I came in with a guardian angel. And I was there to do due diligence uh, because they had promised that I would introduce George Pataki to the crowd, a guy who had been a Yale. He had gone to Yale. Yeah, no, no, he went to Columbia, uh, but he also went to Yale. 
And I was anticipating that there would maybe be like uh, two, three, four dozen people. No. There were like six people, four of his relatives, and two guys from Yale who went to school with him, and everybody else didn't even know who he was. More people knew who I was at the Yale Club, and trust me, I don't like anybody who went to Yale, almost anybody. So here he was, giving a passionate, emotional speech, and I get on the campaign trail for George Pataki. And I'll never forget, we were on Queens Boulevard in the heart of Mario Cuomo land. And it was Jackie Mason, the comedian then, who was always getting into trouble because he would say things that were mm, a bit tawdry. And he was on the stage along with the King of Talk Radio, Bob Grant, and I was there. And we were fostering the candidacy of George Pataki against Mario Faccia Bruta Cuomo in Queens, in the backyard of Mario Land. And everybody said, are you crazy? What are you doing here? Come on. More people know who Jackie Mason is, or who Bob Grant is, who you are, Curtis. They have no idea who this guy How do you pronounce his name? Oh, Pataki. And then I remember in one of those campaign trips, George Pataki, who was slowly gaining ground on Mario Cuomo, gave a speech. A speech that resonates in my mind now as the T2 Soviet, a.k.a. Vladimir Putin tanks, have surrounded Kiev, the capital city and are preparing to storm the other major cities. While the president of the Ukraine, the king of all comedy, is defiant, who has said to the United States, no, I don't need transport, I need ammunition, I'm ready to fight. As he passes out the Kalishnikovs to all the, the old uh, boobies in Zeta with their babushkas on their head, as they aim the Kalishnikovs up at the MiG jets, And I'll never forget the words of George Pataki, who spoke about 1956. And I know for many of you, what, 1956? You know, you hipsters and millennials, that's like, was that when the Civil War was fought? No, schmucks, putzes. 1956, when the Soviet Union sent in their T-2 tanks to viciously crush the Hungarian freedom fighters, many of whom had to flee their country very similarly to what is happening today in the Ukraine. As tens of thousands flee in advance of what may be the MiG fighter jets dropping napalm and other ordnance and cruise missiles sailing through the sky and smashing into military ordnance, but also into civilian Dwellings. And a lot of, there are a lot of similarities because I remember that speech that George Pataki gave when he talked about how a immigrant family of Hungarians here in America, while watching it on the old 13-inch RCA TV black and white, in fact, it was November 4th of 1956. I can remember that day. They'll live in infamy as the Soviet tanks rolled into Budapest to crush once and for all the nationalist uprising. Vicious street fighting broke out. But naturally, the Soviet power was just too strong and ensured victory. It was right at the crack of dawn and the Hungarian prime minister... A guy named Nagy, could be Zelensky, in the Ukraine, announced the invasion to the nation in a grim 35-second broadcast declaring, our troops are fighting. The government is in place. 
he was prepared to die like Zelensky is against the threats of Putin. And who was it that led that full-scale invasion of Hungary back then? Well, it was a guy named Nikita Khrushchev, who originally was from the Ukraine. And a lot of people were stunned. A lot of people in 1956 were stunned at the Soviet action because many people in the West had believed that Nikita Khrushchev, who had pledged to retreat from the Stalinist policies and repression of the past, would not do what Joe Stalin had done and crush all opposition. But lo and behold, the violent actions in the streets of Budapest suggested otherwise. I remember George Pataki describing that immigrant family here in America, Hungarians, viewing this destruction. An estimated 2,500 Hungarians died. 200,000 more fled as refugees into Western Europe. Sporadic armed resistance strikes and mass arrests continued for months thereafter, causing substantial economic disruption. We did nothing then. There were speeches by then President Dwight D. Eisenhower, too busy playing golf each and every day, and Secretary of State John Foster Dulles. Now, they suggested, just like Joe Biden uh, is now, that they they supported the Hungarians, just like Joe Biden says he supports the Ukrainians of Zelensky. But they determined that nothing would be done to stop the Soviet menace. 30,000 Hungarian refugees were allowed to enter the United States as the Soviet tanks continued to bore down on the protesters and turn them into speed bumps. The United States did nothing in 1956 beyond issuing public statements of sympathy for their plight Isn't that similar to what Joe Biden, our president, and Vice President Harris is doing now? What did they tell Zelensky? Remember, don't leave Kiev. Stay there. If you leave Kiev to meet with the vice president and the NATO members and European Union members in Munich, you may not have a country to come back to. And Zelensky defied Bush. Excuse me, not Bush. Might as well have been Bush. He was always into regime change. What a disaster Iraq was. Boy, it just reminded me, right? Ukraine, Iraq, uh, that that worked out real good, didn't it? But remember, Zelensky defied President Biden, defied Vice President Harris. Recently, uh, through uh, communications, the President of the United States offered transportation to Zelensky and his family out of Kiev. And he said, I don't need no freaking transportation. I need ammunition to fight. And I'm hoping that Governor Pataki will rise in front of the state Republican convention starting tomorrow in Garden City in Nassau County. And whether he speaks on the first, the opening day, when they gavel the session in, or on Tuesday when the candidates for statewide office give their speeches and then the delegates uh, decide who their candidates will be. I'm hoping that George Pataki, who served 12 years, 
The state never did better than when they had a Republican governor, George Pataki, 12 years, 20 years of Republican mayors, Rudy Giuliani for eight, Michael Bloomberg for another eight, and then he stole four, Mr. Term Limits, making 20. I'm going to call George Pataki. I'm going to say, Governor, I want you to resuscitate that speech. And I want you to say before the throngs of the patriotic Republicans who were there, most of whom that I disagree with, I might add, because I'm the outlier. But they are patriotic. And they've all of a sudden discovered where Ukraine is on the map, like most other Americans. If you were to given a geography test like two weeks ago, can you find the Ukraine on the map? Uh, 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 uh. Now all, I'm a Ukrainian. It's almost like Spartacus. No, I'm a Ukrainian. I'm a Ukrainian. But do we want to depend on these, these new jacks to give a speech like that? Or do we want to go back to the eth- the ethos of what this was all about, 1956. And nobody, nobody can do it better than former Governor George Pataki. In fact, I believe when he makes that speech and he reminds everyone, this will not be Hungary, 1956, and then raises his fist and says, we must fight for a free Ukraine. Every Republican will be up there, will be applauding, there will be a standing ovation. They'll probably draft him to become governor, their gubernatorial candidate. And meantime, Selden will go, what the hell just happened? My guy, Andrew Giuliani, did I just hear what I thought I heard? Uh, Astorino Wilson will all say, oh, my God, he brought down the house. But you see, he gave that speech before when he was running for governor. And I'm going to ask him to resurrect it. As all of a sudden, the whole world has decided to come to the aid of Zelensky and the free people of Ukraine against the totalitarian dictatorship of the autocrat that everybody has said has gone mad and it's crazy, Vladimir Putin. Oh, a few days ago, there were quite a few people I know. What was it, Tucker Carlson and quite a few others? Oh, Putin, he's great. Oh, now all of a sudden, oh, he's a madman. He's crazy. Maybe he has syphilis. You know, who knows? Maybe he's like Al Capone. <laughs> the syphilis is eating his brain. And today, what did he do? He threatened nuclear annihilation against any one of us who dare stand in his way. It's going to take a man's man, George Pataki, to remind us. 1956, when we did nothing. When the Hungarian freedom fighters were turned into speed bumps. And all we had was Eisenhower playing golf, John Foster Dulles saying nice things about the freedom fighters and just say, hey, we'll welcome your refugees, 30,000. And Radio Free Europe broadcasting within the belly of the beast about the freedom that was represented by America. I believe that this could be a turning point. We've got to hearken everybody back to a history that they weren't taught. None of you hipsters and millennials in the studio were taught about 1956 in Hungary, right? They're looking at me like, what? Is he speaking Ukrainian? Is he speaking Russian, Polish, Yiddish? What the hell is he talking about? We need to be showing the black and white photos of the T2 tanks turning the Hungarian freedom fighters into speed bumps. And the whole world watched and did nothing. We thought Nikita Khrushchev would be different. We thought Vladimir Putin would be different. 
And yet they reverted to the very same tactics. I appeal to you, former Governor George Pataki, way up there and leave it to Beaverland, Father Knows Best, Little House in the Prairie, somewhere up there, I think near Plattsburgh, New York. Conjure up the images of what you said many times before about 1956, because we're, we're doing it all over again. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for you to be heard. Because I'm tired of listening to all these freaking generals. Uh, hey, I'm a general. Oh, put him on TV. I never saw this guy before. My, Well, he could have been in charge of clerks, right? The general in charge of clerks. Filing paperwork. He got paper cuts and he got 52 ribbons for that. All these pundits who are, uh, Putin would never do that. They were all wrong. And yet they continue to act as if they're experts well, really, you the people are the experts, not the Frank Moranos or the Bill O'Reilly's of the world or the Sid Rosenberg's or the Bernard McCurks. No, you the people, you have seen this unfold before and you are watching it again. This revolutionary L. Scott Heron will be televised. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. York's talk station with the king of New York, Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. John Classic, on behalf of Boris Johnson, I beseech Elton John, who is on his last World Depends tour, to parachute into Kiev with his platform shoes, go to the nearby arena, and put on the concert of all concerts, and lead the countercharge. I don't think that will work uh, too well. Somehow, I don't think the uh, trained uh, Soviet, a.k.a. Russian forces, they'll probably go running up to Elton John asking for autographs and selfies and pictures, right? Hey, I saw you performing in St. Petersburg, in Moscow, in Siberia. Uh, Hungary, Hungary, 1956. How quickly we forget. Quickly? My God, that's like... 65 years ago. Well, for me, I'm 67, soon to be 68 on March 26th. I will never forget the Hungarian freedom fighters. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Bill, who's calling from New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here on WABC, Bill. Yeah, hi, thank you. Um, Hello, Curtis. Oh, man, you're such a downer, man. I, I, I had raised the roof. Everybody was passionate. They were ready to put on their what? German helmets and go to war on behalf of the Ukrainian, and now you're fumbling and stumbling. Go for it, Bill. Oh, okay, sorry. Yeah, this, is, this, this whole thing is outrageous. What I don't understand is months ago, 
when Putin started to surround uh, Ukraine, okay, all we had to do was tell him, guess what? No, you're not, you're not coming into Ukraine. You're not taking over Ukraine, okay, because we're not going to let you. And if you do, the first thing we're going to do is, is put up a no-fly zone, uh, sending all, all, the, all the defensive measure supplies, okay, defend Ukraine with a, with a no-fly zone. No, 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 hold on, Bill, 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 Bill. This ain't like the Bill Clinton no-fly zone against Saddam Hussein. I mean, we're talking about our F-22s, United States F-22s versus the sophisticated MiG fighters of uh, the old Soviet Union, now Putin's Russia. Uh, what are we going to do, get RAF British fighters up there and Mirage French fighters from Macron? You want a no-fly zone? You realize that could lead to another world war. Yeah, but, but, uh, but he, was, he, was, uh, he was on the border months ago, okay? Just, just tell this thug, this pipsqueak thug that nobody stands up to, and just tell him, guess what? You're not coming in. Well, I, I don't I don't think it helps. When back in 2014, Hillary Rodham Clinton, the Secretary of State of the United States, called Putin Hitler. You know, whenever we hate somebody and we want to go to war against somebody, what do we call them, Hitler? Look, Putin is not a good guy. He's a bad guy, but he's not Adolf Hitler. Just like Saddam Hussein was not Adolf Hitler. We called him Adolf Hitler, remember? Oh, we got to do this again. Yeah, but wait, Saddam Hussein was our friend, right? Yeah, yeah, but now he's Hitler. We got to invade Iraq for weapons of mass destruction. Regime change. How did that work out? You think maybe we should have sat down with Putin and said, Vlad, what do you want? Come on, sit down. You don't need to have 190,000 troops from three different directions surrounding the king of all comedy, uh, Zelensky's uh, Ukraine. Tell us, what do you want? What can we, what can we do for you? How can we do business? But no, no, everybody, uh, he won't invade, right? Oh, no, no, no. Hey, Frank Morano, no, he won't invade. Bill O'Reilly, no, he won't invade. Everybody, no. Meantime, right, Joe Biden, who none of you believe is uh, adept. You think he has dimension, right? You think, he kept, he's going to invade Ukraine. He's going to, no, he's not. No, no, no. Joe Biden, we listen to Joe Biden. In, intel from the CIA, the criminals in action who have always been wrong about the Bay of Pigs, about Libya, about Iraq, about Syria. They always wrong. Oh, we're going to believe them. Well, this one, they were right. You know, occasionally, you, you, actually, you're right. But he didn't try to hide the 190,000 Russian troops. They were right there. They were waving at Elon Musk's satellites high in the sky. Oh. <sighs> One eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Let's go to John, who's calling from Riverdale. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, John. Good evening, Curtis. Call number seventeen. Before I get to the topic, I just want to tell you that I'm actually the second most handsome sixty-year-old man on the face of the earth. Number one is a sixty-year-old Ukrainian man who is fighting for his country right now and will fight to the death. This situation in Ukraine, the, it, it's a terrible situation. The Russians are good people. Their leadership is off the hook, insane, satanic. And no, 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 John, John. I, I know we like to repeat what everybody is saying. He's insane. He's satanic. He's evil. 
He's a freaking dictator, John. This is what dictators do, John. Well, he's got to be stopped. All right, but how are you going to stop? How are you going to stop him without creating a world war? Do you really want Americans to go into the Ukraine? And remember, this is the same Ukraine who Manafort went into because they're so corrupt and he put his beak in the trough and Hunter Biden went there, Burisma, because they're so corrupt and he put his beak in the trough. Democrats and Republicans, so, so it's so corrupt over there. We really want to die for Ukraine? What if uh, the MiG fighters fly over the Ukrainian refugee camps in Poland and start dropping ordnance and bombs? That oh. would be the beginning of World War Three. Oh, my God. People want war. They're banging the war drums. They're flying Ukrainian flags. They couldn't have identified a Ukrainian flag a week ago. If you had said, look, uh, we would have done the Frank Morano, uh, the $1,000 prize. If you can find a Ukrainian flag amongst the three flags here, one of them being the American flag, you get $1,000. Most people wouldn't have been able to pick out the Ukrainian flag. Now, all of a sudden, everybody knows everything about the Ukraine. That's right. We're, we're there for the Ukraine. You knew nothing about nothing about the Ukraine a week ago. Now, all of a sudden, we're students of the Ukraine. You could tell us the history. You're ready to start digging trenches, filling sandbags. Have you all lost your minds? You see how quickly the news cycle is? 72 hours ago, oh, Putin, he's savvy, smart, guile. Oh, he's a much better match uh, than our own uh, feeble Joe Biden and Macron and Boris. Let me comb my hair, Johnson. (laughs) Now all of a sudden, oh, he's a maniac. He's out of control. He's lost his mind. He's an old man in the bunker. He's mentally ill. He's a recluse. All of this within 72 hours, he's paranoid. He's been two years in self-isolation. What are you talking about? I've seen him doing press conferences over the last two years. What the hell? He went to the Olympic Games, went to the Olympic Games. Remember, he was sitting up there in the nosebleed section all by himself. A recluse doesn't do that. But all you want to do is repeat whatever you hear. Yeah, he's insane. He's a madman. He's Hitler. Oh, here we go again. You know when they start calling someone Hitler, we're going to go to war. Right? Saddam Hussein was Hitler. He was our best friend. Uh, Gaddafi, Hitler. Oh, he was our ally. He gave up his nuclear weapons to Bush 43. What a schmuck. If he had kept his nuclear weapons, do you think some Libyan with a New York Yankee cap would have put a twenty-two up his tuchus and shot his insides out? Beware. Whenever we start calling somebody Hitler, Assad in Syria, he's Hitler. Meantime, John Kerry is having dinner with him, laughing, having a good old time. The New York Times Sunday Magazine did a great profile on Assad, the butcher of uh, Damascus. Oh, we can do business with him because his wife is Western. And even Barbara Walters said, oh, he's such a fine man. 72 hours later, he's Hitler. We must destroy him. How many times are we going to get sucked into this vortex, put the brakes on, and understand we have our propaganda machine and Putin has his propaganda machine, and just take a deep breath, and, you know, one minute Tucker Carlson, oh, I wish we had him as president, right? And then all of a sudden, evil, evil. 
for invading the Ukraine. Like within 72 hours? You think maybe we ought to slow down? We're going to give money to the Ukraine, right? We're going to give supplies. Who's going to control that? The corrupt Ukrainians? Hell no. Not giving them a dollar. Our CIA criminals in action? Hell no. They're corrupt. Not going to give them a dollar. Maybe we'll get a a NGO. You know, now that Sean Penn is doing a documentary in there. What happened to all the money that went to Haiti? No, I don't think we'll give it to Sean Penn or the Clinton Foundation. We better figure out a different way of getting that money to the people who need it. Because I ain't giving it to the Ukrainian leaders. They're crooks. I ain't giving it to the CIA. They're crooks, criminals in action. And I sure ain't giving it to Sean Penn or the Clinton Foundation. Where's all the money that went to Haiti, right? I'm still asking about that. (laughs) Meantime, Sean Penn is, oh, I'm doing a documentary about Zelensky. Hey, you were the same one who did a documentary about, hmm, Saddam Hussein. And Hugo Chavez and Fidel Castro. Please, and also, let's not forget El Chapo. Remember Sean Penn in the jungles of Mexico looking for El Chapo? With El Chapo's Gumada at his side, the actress. And then all of a sudden, what was it? Three, two guys and, uh, and the actress in the bed together? You know, three's a crowd and whatever the hell that uh, sitcom used to be. Be wary, ladies and gentlemen, and I said to all of you yesterday, oh, we're putting sanctions on Putin and Lavrov and all the oligarchs there. Meantime, you're rolling up your cards to Luke Oil, right? Luke Oil. Might as well say Putin Oil. All the money from Luke Oil goes right into his pockets. They've been there, the gas station, since 2000. Everybody knows all the money goes to, to Putin directly. And so many of you called up yesterday, I didn't know that. Really? I'm never buying Luke Oil again. Let me ask you a question. If Luke Oil was selling its gas, its regular gas, 10 cents less a gallon than Shell across the street, you know, Dutch Shell, you're telling me I'm going to pay more money for the Dutch Shell because I'm not buying Putin, Putin gasoline. You liars. You're going to go where you get the best bang on the dollar. I mean, gas is soon going to be $5 a gallon. And you don't tell me you're going to, you're not going to be pinching pennies? By the way, Luke Oil had a problem a few years ago. They were mixing water with the gasoline. <laughs> so you know what happens when water gets in the tank with the gasoline? That's why you needed Andy Granatelli's STP, uh, the racist edge. Remember Andy Granatelli, STP, the racist edge. They used to sell 18-wheel tractor trailer loads of STP because it would <laughs> suck out all the water and the moisture from the watered-down gasoline that everybody was selling back then, not just Luke Oil, <laughs> Exxon, Dutch uh, Shell, uh, Mobile. Well, that's right. Luke Oil bought Mobile. All the old mobile stations, you wondered, what happened to those mobile stations? They're now Luke Oil stations. Remember Getty? Remember Getty? Uh, Who do you think owns those gas stations now? Putin. Oh, no, no. Yeah, yeah. Sanctions on Putin. But let's keep buying his gasoline, especially if it's cheaper. (laughs) What a bunch of uh, sanctimonious hypocrites we all are. 1-800-848-9222. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Howard in Babylon. Your turn to be heard here at WABC. Ba- uh, Howard. 
Hi. I have two quick points. I don't want to waste much of your time. I want to say wait, that wait, 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 wait. What makes you think you're not already wasting my time, Howard? I haven't started yet. Okay. So I'm ready to have my time wasted. Go for it. Okay. I'm very proud of those Ukrainian freedom fighters who are repelling the Russians here and there. Next, I want to say you haven't brought up the 1968 Prague Revolution. Hold on, Howard. You ruined my bit. I'm talking 1956, the Hungarian freedom fighters, and you're talking Czechoslovakia 1968, right? Yes, sir. Why would you want to mix the Czechs with the Hungarians when 68 did not involve... Nikita Khrushchev. I didn't think twice about who led it. I was just bringing up those two main historical incidents. Howard, you have already wasted two minutes of my life, two minutes that I'll never get back again. Curtis, I like you. Take care of yourself. Yeah, you too, pal. Okay. Here it is. The guy starts, hey, you know, uh, I don't want to waste your time, right? Well, then what the hell did you call for? Because Howard just wasted, he ruined my opening bit. It was all about the Hungarian freedom fighters, 1956. So what does he do? He throws a monkey wrench in. He goes, hey, did you forget Czechoslovakia? 1968. Oh, here's Mark in uh, Rahway, New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here on WABC, Mark. (laughs) Oh, you kill me. You kill me, Curtis. Uh, anyway, this is the real Curtis Lee with uh, 9 o'clock on Sunday night. I love you. And I'm having a better day right now than I did at 3 because you were chewing on Hans shorts again, like Bernie and Sid said in the morning. They were wondering if you had something going on in the uh, in the commercials there. But actually, I'm calling for this. Um, I, I And I'm a Sleevaite. Uh, you know, Levin's got his uh, Levinites. I'm a Sleevaite. And for 50 years since Eisenhower said on his way out, if you remember, uh, warned us of the military-industrial complex. You're right. They they want war. The Democrats want war. The Republicans want war. And this is where we're at. And and, uh, I I don't know where it's going to go. He goes to one other place, and we're going to be in war. But I'm enjoying the real Curtis Lee right now, man. Mark, uh, I want to compliment you, Mark, something I don't often do with the callers here to WABC. You were so cogent, uh, you pimp-slapped me around uh, in terms of the program that I do with Chris Hahn Sundays from 3 to 5. Uh, uh-huh. And then you refer to uh, Sid Rosenberg and Bernard McGurk and their evaluation of that show. And then you said, but now you're getting Sliwa raw, raw, unedited. Yep. And by the way, you were so poignant because you pointed out how both sides want war. America loves to go to war for sometimes the craziest reasons. War. War against Gaddafi. War against Saddam Hussein. Let's go to war in Somalia. We can't even find it on the map. Grenada. Let's invade Grenada. Where the hell is Grenada? We got medical students going there. Let's invade Grenada. Noriega, he was our friend. Remember Pineapple Face with the machete in the air? He was our friend. Then all of a sudden, Bush 41, former CIA director, said... He's using. He's using cocaine. That's because they they all get rich. How do they come into politics with nothing and then 
after 30 years, they're all worth 50 to $100 million. This yeah, yeah, but Mark, Mark, the Noriega one was the best. Noriega was our number one ally. He was vetting out communists throughout South America, Central America, the West Indies, and the Caribbean. But all of a sudden, he had some problems with Bush 41. So Bush 41 determined. We did a raid on his compound, and you know what we found in the personal belongings of Pineapple Face? General El Jefe Noriega, cocaine and pornography. Remember that? Cocaine and pornography. And we freaking brought our self-bombers and bombed Panama City. I think we killed like 4,000 Panamanians. Because Noriega, pineapple face, was using cocaine and looking at pornography. We had to destroy this menace. And remember, we put him in a prison somewhere in Florida in the Everglades, surrounded by alligators and crocodiles. <laughs> and America, yeah, that's right. We took out pineapple face uh, with all that stealth technology. Yeah, we had to test out all of or what we spent billions of dollars on. By the way, half the uh, missile-guided missiles that we uh, rained death and destruction on Panama didn't hit their targets. Bill Clinton, Slobodan Milosevic, the butcher of the Balkans. We got to go to war against Slobodan. And we did. And all of a sudden, our jets high in the sky, we were hitting cardboard cutouts of Serbian tanks. It was so embarrassing. They were, ra- they were hitting Serbian tanks that were cardboard cutouts. And then remember, we hit the Red Chinese Embassy. We killed a few Red Chinese. We thought, oh, my God, they're going to declare war on us. It's like, what is wrong with us? And why wouldn't Joe Biden now want to rally everyone around the flag? Because things ain't looking too good for him at home, right? (laughs) I mean, let's face it. What's the one thing that always gets Americans' minds off our domestic ills? High crime, inflation. Let's go to war. We need an enemy, Vladimir Putin. Let's have a cold war again. But let's keep buying Luke oil and putting money in Vladimir Putin and the oligarchs' pockets. Unbelievable. Let's go to Dave, who's calling from Long Island. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Dave. Hey, Curtis. Uh, I, I think you're on the wrong side of history with your rant here. I hate to say it. Uh, look, I happen to be part Ukrainian. I've been keeping up on this for decades here. I spent some time in Moscow back in the 90s, and I I know something about this whole region. There's no comparison between the corruption today in Ukraine and the corruption in Russia. No comparison. In the days of Yanukovych, yes. And by the way, I believe that Hunter Biden got a lot of his money from Ukraine back in the days of Yanukovych, to tell you the truth. you know, and, and by the way, the Secret Service conveniently lost the log, all his travel logs from those years. If you look in the news, that's recent news. So how am I wrong? So I've already pointed it. out you had Manafort on the Republican side. You had Hunter Biden on the Democratic side. Yeah. Pigs putting their beaks in the troughs yeah, of the corruption. You don't, OK, well, let me finish my rant. It's, it's going to be just one minute. Believe me. Yanukovych was the guy that that the free people of Ukraine pushed out. Ask any Ukrainian on the street, either either in Brighton or, or in Ukraine, or Kiev or Lviv. Or- now, you see, this is where we get NPR-ish. 
Yanukovych. Now, our listeners just discovered where the Ukraine was like 72 hours ago. 48 hours ago, they were able to actually pick out the Ukrainian flag uh, out of three flags that were being flown, one of them the American flag, and they finally were able to figure out what the Ukrainian flag is. So this guy wants to talk about Yanukovych. We'll go through a whole laundry list of the leaders of the Ukraine. Both sides are corrupt. Nobody wants nobody wants to acknowledge that. Oh, yeah, let's give them all our billions. But who is taking the money? Because the Russians have oligarchs. And, yes, the Ukrainians have oligarchs, too. Will the money actually go to the people who are in need, who are losing their housing, who are fleeing to Europe? Do you think we need, like, standard NGOs that we can trust to use the money for the good of the Ukrainian people who need it? Not their elected officials, not their politicians, not their oligarchs, not their corrupt people. But we're going to do that. You know we're going to do that because they're going to say, give me, give me, give me the money. I'll make sure our peeps get the money. Yeah? You know where it's going to be? It's going to be in a corrupt bank in Cyprus where the Russians bank their corrupt money and they launder that money. Oh, no, all of a sudden, they, oh, no, we're not corrupt anymore. No, 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 no. We're going to fight. We're going to fight Putin. Our people are going to get the money. Look at the Germans. They gave up 500 helmets. Oh, yeah, big... What were they, 500 former Nazi helmets that they didn't use in World War II and they just rubbed off the Nazi sign? Oh. Let's go to Sergeant Major Mike in Atlantic City, AC, favorite city of our own Frank Morano. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Sergeant Major Mike. Hey, what's going on, Commander Curtis? What's going uh, no. on? I have, have, you been, have you been following what's going on in the European theater? Yeah, I lived there for a couple of days. Oh, uh, un- unlike uh, these uh, TV generals, as you refer to. Yeah, yeah. Don't you love them? People that you said, I never heard of that guy before. Yeah, and I wasn't no star major then either. I was uh, miserable on the front lines, on the borders, like you wouldn't believe. But anyway, uh, real quick, I know you, like I said, you're busy. Uh, I know you're familiar with the cities of uh, Trenton and Camden, of course, right? Oh, Camden, absolutely. Trenton, yeah. Trenton, uh, oh, you, yeah. Know, you know some of the places. You name Blood, places Blood City. We can call Trenton Blood City. Blood right. City, right, right. Right. So all, what I want to say, uh, not to change subjects, but is uh, i tell you what, the subway system in New York City, uh, other than the Sergeant problems, Major Mike, you are changing subjects. You said not to change subjects, and then you change subjects. I'm sorry. To, all right, I'm you know, sorry. You, you know who you sound like? Greg Kelly, who has I'm attention deficit disorder, and all he of a sudden he digresses. He was an officer in the military. Yes, no, he, wasn't he served our uh, yeah. United States Marine Corps. He was a naval flight uh, person. Uh, he did a great job. But let's face it, when he does his program, he's just like you. He changes multiple gears. All right. not. I mean, I mean I'm mean, i sorry to change the subject. No, no, it's anyway, okay. I, I want to talk about the river line. I know it's near. Go, 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 I mean, go uh, ahead. Go ahead, Sergeant Major. Near, How do I know uh, you really it? are a Sergeant Major? Well, I have no reason to lie to you about it. Okay, I'll accept that. I'll accept yeah. that. All right to be honest with you. But anyway, uh, I just wanted to say, uh, besides the barbecues, the, the, the Trent, you know, are you familiar with the river line? The train that runs down. Oh my God. He's talking about the train in New Jersey. What did some heat seeking missile that was fired by a Russian MIG just take out a New Jersey transit line? 
uh, uh, you know, I, I don't want to change the subject, but you did, right? You see, you see the strategy he used? He tried to use technology on me. I don't want to change the subject, but he did. 1-800-848-9222. Here's Karen in Rockland County. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Karen. Hello, fellow Pisces. Are you a Pisces? I was born in March also. Well, no, Pisces is before me. I'm Aries. I'm the fire sign. Oh, you're Aries? Yeah. Aries. I'm, Mar- yeah. I'm March 8th. Yes. Oh, March 8th. You know, you're the fish. You pesh. You're, you're the thing that Eric Adams eats that makes him uh, no longer a vegan because he has upesh. He has the fish. He, he likes the Pisces in his salads. <laughs> my um, my parents were from Hungary. Uh, Thank God. I mean, they were there during World War II, hmm. not, not during the uprising in 56. And, uh, Karen, I, first of all, I want to salute you, Karen, as being the only caller who has recognized the Hungarian uprising in 1956, like uh, George Pataki did as governor time and time again, and what I hope he will revive on the floor of the New York State Republican Convention that gets gaveled tomorrow that I'll be at in uh, Garden City, Nassau County. You you were the only, second person to do that. My... Uh... My mother's sister knew uh, Pataki. She since you know she passed away ten years ago, but she she knew him. I'm getting nowhere here. You know, I think people are Ukrained out. I think they're so used to being blitzed by all these so-called experts. You know, all of a sudden, you know, okay, my expert is better than your expert. I have a guy here who is wearing a, a tinfoil hat who's waving, uh, actually waving a Westinghouse extended light bulb around his head, and he has declared himself to be a five-star general, and all of a sudden, oh, clear the deck. We're not going to our callers. We're going we're gonna to listen to this guy with a tinfoil hat uh, waving around a Westinghouse light bulb over his head as he's standing on the roof with the rabbit ears trying to communicate with the uh, with the insurgents in the Ukraine, and we're going to believe every word he says. That is a screwball and a nut job. But what the hell? He said he's a five star general. We're just going to believe it. One eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. He knows New York. He is New York. Cred that the others don't have. Curtis Lewa, Talk Radio seventy seven WABC. Better Days. All right, this is a great song that was crafted specifically for me because if there's one thing I've been known for in 32 years of doing talk radio is to tell all of you, I've had better days. I've had better days. By the way, uh, sanctions against all the oligarchs, friends of Putin, not so fast. I know a whole bunch of them in New York City. These uh, oligarchs own property all throughout New York City. But you can't connect them to their holdings because 
they utilize hiding their identities behind multiple layers of anonymous shell companies and trusts thanks to the fact that the real estate industry has managed to give temporary exemptions for two decades from American anti-money laundering laws since the Patriot Act in 2002. So you want to find out who these oligarchs are who are embedded and live with us right here in New York City, friends of Putin? Go to the fat cats in the real estate industry and watch them take the code of Omerta. I know, like Sergeant Schultz of Starlight 13. I know nothing. I see nothing. I'm not telling you where the rubles are. In the meantime, we keep buying Luke Oil. That's right. And let's be honest. If Luke Oil was selling its gasoline 10 cents a gallon less, because soon it's going to be $5 a gallon, would you uh, defiantly go across the street and buy uh, Dutch Shell at 10 cents more a gallon? Or would you sneak across to Luke Oil and say, eh, this is not about politics. This is like, you know, this is a bread and butter issue. Of course you're going to buy Luke Oil. So let's stop this nonsense. Let's break it down to its simple basics. Let's use common sense. And don't get fooled by the hype either on the Russian side, the Ukrainian side, and especially the American and the NATO side, because a lot of it is pure self-serving propaganda. Check this out. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. Love this Who song. Listen, listen. Here comes the punchline. Yeah, pray, pray, pray. Here it comes. We're getting fooled again. History repeats itself geopolitically, nationally, regionally, and locally. And so we're going to sh- shift gears because I pointed uh, just in that last hour. To all the sanctimonious hypocrites on all sides of the issue of the invasion of the Ukraine, pompously, who are spreading their propaganda, and they want you to buy into it lock, stock, and barrel. Don't be jaded. Be skeptical. Be careful. Don't get sucked into their vortex. Not the Russian vortex, not the American vortex, the NATO vortex, or the Ukrainian freedom fighter vortex. Be aware that this has happened before. 
But now I want to share with you uh, a visit I took earlier in the day. Only had about two, uh, two and a half hours of sleep. Because remember, I did the other side of midnight. The best uh, other side of midnight, you know, that's the ones on the weekend that I do, as opposed to what Frank Morano does. He'll be in here tonight after the Animal Welfare Hour, the most listened to and requested of the 20 hours that I do on the weekends when ABC stands for Always Broadcasting Curtis. I'll be doing that with my wife and then passing off the microphone to the uh, Mameluk, the Mangaluch, and the Mashad. Frank Morano, who I saw earlier today. And I traveled out to Staten Island, a place that loves me and I love them because it voted for me for mayor by 70% over Eric Adams. Went to the uh, Catholic High School, St. Joseph by the Sea. Uh, I had uh, nightmares because every time I go to a Catholic high school, I think of the one that kicked me to the curb, the Jesuits at Brooklyn Prep, 1972, and I never looked back. But I was there because uh, there was the coronation, there was the enshrinement, there was the installation, the beatification of a guy named Landry as a judge, a civil court judge. That's right. I think his middle name is T. What the hell? I keep referring to him as T. Landry. I have no idea what that stands for. But you would have thought that the Archdiocese of New York was doing a beatification of, of Judge Landry. He can't discuss politics, you know. Every politician was there. He's not supposed to discuss politics, but every politician there, Democrats and Republicans, and what were they discussing? Politics. So I went in the company of Andrew Giuliani, who I'm supporting to become the next governor of the state of New York, supporting him in the Republican primary uh, against uh, Zeldin, against uh, uh, Bob Estorino and against the new guy, uh, Wilson, or whatever the hell his name is, who decided, hey, you got $10 million, I want to be governor. Yeah, you supported Bragg, you idiot. You disqualified yourself right there. But anyway, he's in it. So I walk in there, and it's like a tsunami of Republicans and Democrats. And one thing they all had in common, they all sang the national anthem. They did the Pledge of Allegiance. See, they always do that in Staten Island, Democrats or Republicans. Very patriotic then. And they all pledged support for the Ukrainians, the Ukrainian freedom fighters. One of them even had a pendant, the Ukrainian flag. Democrats, Republicans, I thought they were all going to go on the stage and declare that St. Joseph by the Sea would be a sanctuary for the fleeing refugees. I want to see if that's true like a month from now, if Staten Island is willing to accept all of the uh, fleeing Ukrainian refugees. Let's check check back with them a month from now when, oh, my God, what are we going to do with all these people? Oh, that's right, they're white. It's okay. We can just say they're Canadians. You know, they'll come down through Canada. God forbid they came up through the border in Mexico. You know, they got, oh, man, uh, a little brown and black and, you know, olive. I don't know if we want them here. (laughs) Ha, 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 ha. You see, I'm going to say it. Nobody else will say it. They look like us. We'll just say they're not Ukrainian. They're Canadian. <laughs> they come down, cross the border, the poorest border. We got, like, no border guards up in Canada, right? Our longest border. You know, you can walk across the border from Canada uh, to America. I did that. No, no, nobody checks you. They, they put an orange cone out there at night on one of the roads. They abandon their Smokey the Bear shacks. You can, you can bring an 18-wheel tractor-trailer across. I want to see uh, how we're all so supportive of uh, the Ukrainian freedom fighters when all of these refugees need a place to live. 
Staten Island going to accept them? Brooklyn, Queens, the Bronx, Manhattan? Oh, Manhattan, no. No, are you kidding? Well, what are we going to do? Turn all these uh, 75% of the empty uh, space in which people are never coming back to work and actually create housing for Ukrainian refugees? Hell no. So maybe they can go to Pennsylvania, you know, central Pennsylvania near Harris. But you'll see. Americans will start jostling with any uh, with one another. But the big issue that nobody is talking about is whether our president, Joe Biden, on Tuesday, when the whole world will be watching him, the whole nation will be watching him as the convoy is surrounding him outside in the Beltway, whether in his State of the Union address he's going to be talking about the humongous crime situation that's eating at our quality of life, the fabric of the soul of urban America and even some of the suburbs, mostly north of the Mason-Dixon line, but also in some southern areas and western areas. And it's interesting because the crime is off the hook. And Eric Adams is out there in his Ferragamos and his uh, designer suits doing nothing about the crime. Nothing. So I go out to Staten Island, and who do you think is sitting there with Rachel? Without Carmine, I might add. Where's child welfare? Where's Carmine? I guess they were hiding Carmine. And there was Frank Morano and Rachel and this packed auditorium. And everybody was coming up to me, even the Democrats. You should have been mayor. This guy's a fugazi. Oh, did you see that couple that was parking their car, you know, next to their house, got held up at like 3 o'clock in the morning? And then they're giving me a whole litany of all the crimes having been committed on Jersey Street, Stapleton, Park Hill, West Brighton, uh, all throughout Mid-Island, South Shore, North Shore. And I'm nodding my head and I'm saying, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm aware of it. I know. But some of you, and I looked at the Democrats, I said, some of you, you you bought the hype. You believed that this guy was the law and order candidate. We're in worse shape now than we were during any eight weeks of the de Blasio administration. Crime is at an all-time high. With the guy who said, hey, you know, I'm going to get stuff done. He's not. So what is the main story tonight? Again. You remember at Queens Plus, it was 11.30 at night. What happened? A man we watched on video. Remember, years ago, we didn't have video to watch. We had to depend on, hopefully, uh, the victims surviving their ordeal or possibly uh, witnesses coming forward and telling us what had just transpired. Many of them would not do that because they believed that snitches would get stitches and end up in ditches. But in this, we saw the clear video. There was a a guy who came upon Nina Rothschild. She was at Queens Plaza returning from her her research job in the health department of the city of New York. It was 1130 at night. And he wanted to uh, steal her pocketbook. He tried to snatch her pocketbook. She resisted, as most people would. And then all of a sudden, he becomes the hammer man, a hammer attack. Well, they made an arrest. The guy's name is William Blount. He's 57. And guess what? He's a homeless guy. He's a homeless guy probably living in and around that Queens Plaza station or in the subway station. That is an area that I know many of the nooks, cracks, crannies, and corners where they live in that station there. Uh, There are a few shelters in that area. There's a very good one run by uh, the veterans 
uh, over there on Borden Avenue. It's excellent, excellent shelter. Because there are excellent shelters out there, and then there are some that are medsy, medsy, poco, poco, and then there are some that are just criminal enterprises in which nonprofits milk the taxpayers, and they provide no services, and they basically uh, warehouse uh, criminals in neighborhoods that previously had not had them because de Blasio had pushed 80 shelters into neighborhoods all throughout the city. And all they got to do is show up at 10 o'clock at night to get their bed because there's a curfew. They kick them out the door 730. They roam the streets. They are dope fiends. They have uh, drug issues, alcohol issues, emotional issues. And what do you think they're going to do all day long in that neighborhood? They're going to scheme. They're going to rob. They're going to steal. And sometimes by any means necessary. So this guy, William Blount, age 57, had half a dozen prior lockups. In fact, He did time in prison in the 80s for sale of drugs. Most of his busts were for robbery of drugs. Don't know if he uh, is an EDP. I'm sure we'll get some detailed assessment of him. But he's arrested. Charged with attempted murder, robbery, assault. Do we think he'll be released? Uh, No bail. You know what I mean? Attempted murder, robbery, assault. I don't know. You know, nowadays, uh, he didn't. He didn't kill her, right? You know, the DSA, AOC will say, you know, maybe because there are no more child tax credits, he was doing it for baby formula or a loaf of bread. No. So he's arrested. Meantime, there are two attackers uh, who are on the R train. Again, we have all kinds of photograph, video. We never had that years ago when I started the Guardian Angels 43 years ago. And at 67th uh, Avenue, just uh, a few blocks away from Queens Plaza, it was 9 p.m., same night, Thursday night. And they preyed upon a 35-year-old victim. They pull out objects. It looked like it could have been pipes or hammers, and they beat the living daylights out of him, ran out of the train. I don't know if they robbed him. And the victim uh, was taken to Elmhurst Hospital, which is right there near 74th and Broadway, And luckily, he survived. And this goes on every day, every day. No cops in the subways. I never run into cops in the subways. Remember Eric Adams said, oh, cops, they're going to be walking up and down the trains. We're going to have hundreds. No, make that thousands. I never see a cop walking up and down the trains. Nobody takes the subways as much as I do, other than if you're an MTA worker and you got to work there like total about eight hours uh, a day. Where are these cops? And then all of a sudden, they all have walkie-talkies, right? So why are they always on their cell phones, their iPhones, their smartphones, their cell phones? They're sexting, they're texting, they're never looking up. A guy could be robbed right in front of them. They would never know. They're they're looking down. First of all, you're a martial artist or a fighter. Never look down. Never stare down at your feet because somebody will punch you right in your schnoz, right? First thing they say. The oldest trick in the book is somebody throws something on the ground. You look at it, pow, you know, like Batman, pow, bam. You know, the new Batman movie's coming out. Not like the TV series. That was the best one. So they're all looking down in their smartphone, their their iPhone. I don't see any of the white shirts around who are their supervisors because, you know, the white shirts, they get immunity. You know, we're talking the lieutenants, the captains, the deputy inspectors. You know, they all have immunity. Nothing ever happens to them. Only the uh, guys and gals who are patrolling. So we're not getting results. Supposedly there was a flood of police officers in the subway system. Maquanamai, where are they? I'd like to know where they are. I'd like to go visit them and ask them to put their iPhones. I take there. In fact, when they show up at the precinct, 
they should seize their, their cell phones, put them in a locker. They have a transistor Motorola radio that we pay for. It's a powerful one. If somehow there's a family emergency, they can call the desk sergeant who can get them on the Motorola radio and say, hey, you know, you got an emergency at home. No other reasons that they need a cell phone for. No other reasons. Hey, look at this. Wow, what is she stacked here? Look at that. You know, they're swapping photos. Come on. I'm street smart. You think Eric Adams is going to say that? No, of course not. Is he down in the subways? No. Where's the new police commissioner? New police commissioner, Suo. Remember, she was the head of detectives in Nassau County. Grew up in the Queensbridge Projects. Uh, one of the rougher, tougher projects in America, not just in this city. It's a blood project. It's so big, it's divided into it's the largest public housing project in the city of New York. And it's right along the East River in the shadow of, now get this, the Queensboro Bridge, the 59th Street Bridge, the Ed Koch Bridge. You think they could settle on one name? Why do they have three freaking names for that bridge? All the signage, it all said, Queensboro Bridge, 59th Street Bridge, Ed Koch Bridge. What a waste of money. Now, you would think Sewell would say, Eric, uh, Mr. Mayor, I know that area. I grew up there. I used to take the train there, the E, the R, the N train, right there at Queens Plaza. I'm going to go there. I'm going to do the press conference. I'm going to handle it. Where is she? Now, I realize she's got to learn the ropes, the culture of the NYPD. But you see, Eric Adams, he's not letting anybody call the shots except for his corrupt friend, the deputy mayor of public safety, Phil Banks, Oh, my God, who has shade on his face like you won't believe from past indiscretions. And that's why crime is worse now. I never thought I would say this. I figured anybody could do a better job than Bill de Blasio, right? Especially when it came to public safety. There is more crime now in these first eight weeks than there were in any of the eight weeks of Bill de Blasio's administration. And it's every day. And remember, we have the tools, video, photographs. I would think Eric Adams, it would behoove him to have a conversation with Governor Hokum because she's full of nonsense. That's what Hokum means, Hokum, and say, you know something? You know what is preventing us from making college and arrests and identifying perps? Is everybody is wearing masks for the purpose of driving public safety down. Nobody is permitted to wear masks any longer. Nobody, not even AOC, all out crazy, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. And that'll make the cops' jobs a lot easier because now if you're wearing a mask, oh, that's a bad hombre. That's a bandito. That's like somebody who is going to stick up a bank in the days of Jesse James. But now everybody wears masks. You see, common sense, these are simple ideas. What do you have to wear a mask in the subway for? There's no COVID-19 anymore. It's over. It's dead on arrival. There are no new variants coming here. Take the freaking diapers off your face if for no other reason. So that the police can use all the tools that they have to collar suspects. And, in fact, the uh, criminals will be less bold. Less brazen if they know that they're not wearing masks. Because all of a sudden, if somebody wears a mask, what's wrong with you? Oh, I got asthma. You know, I got COP. You know, I've been smoking for years. I got to wear a mask. Yeah, yeah, get out of here. You're like uh, 14 years old, right? You're a juvenile delinquent. Get out of here. These are simple, common sense things that can make our city so much safer. But it's not happening now. 
And we have Eric Adams. I don't know where he is tonight. You know, the Zero Bond Club. Who knows? Raising the roof. He'll be up till about 2 in the morning. He gets up early, unlike de Blasio. He's up by about 6 or 7. You know, he's doing his isometrics, his calisthenics. He's doing his yogi. Uh, and he's having his fish. That's right. He's having his fish and his vegetarian, vegan meals, whatever. Who the hell cares as long as he does the job? I don't care if he still lives in Fort Lee in apartment 22H, which he still does. Just do your freaking job. You said you were the law and order mayor. You have provided no law and total disorder. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Check this out. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. Welcome to the jungle. The subway system of New York City. The MTA, money-taking agency. Welcome into the belly of the beast. Where are the cops? I don't see them in the subway. Where are these mental health experts who are going to figure out why the emotionally disturbed have all the furniture upstairs and rearranged in the wrong rooms? Where are these outreach workers? I don't ever see them. Where the hell are they, Eric Adams? Hey, some people are finally waking up to the fact that Eric Adams is an incompetent fool, lacks ability, lacks integrity, is a racist, and um, we're stuck. We're stuck. How did this happen? Well, we have an apathetic, uh, totally checked out population, number one. Number two, the media is even worse. The media is terrible. And they would not challenge Eric Adams. The guy lived in New Jersey, and they would not challenge him. (laughs) He just, why? Why not? hmm? And then he turns around, and he calls everybody a racist. He calls the people who protected him, who elevated him, who endorsed him. He complains that they're white in his eyes. And by the way, he got that wrong, too. Some of the most brilliant editorial writers in this city happen to be people of color. Anyway, it's something that Eric either doesn't know or wouldn't understand or would ignore or lie about. Maybe just lie about. Oh, Greg Kelly, you you don't want to miss him every day from one to three. Great show. And he does not hold back. He knows. Look. He's the son of the longest-serving police commissioner in the city of New York's history, Ray Kelly. And Eric Adams referred to Ray Kelly as a racist. By the way, join the club, Ray. He called me a racist, Andrew Yang a racist. He called white cops crackers. And he called, basically, without using the term, uh, white journalists racist because they couldn't identify with him. They can't see things because... Uh, they don't have melanin content in their caucasoid complexions. And so every day, and rightfully so, Greg Kelly is going at Eric Adams, who said he was the law and order man. Now, put aside the fact that he's done nothing about crime. His biggest indiscretion is he would not take on the new Manhattan DA, Alvin Bragg. He said only nice things about Alvin Bragg. He left it to his brand-new police commissioner, 
uh, to challenge uh, the DA. He has yet to challenge Alvin Bragg. All the crimes that are being committed here in Manhattan, the smashing grabs, the shoplifting, the looting, the stabbing, the shooting, unconscionable. Why wouldn't you call out the guy who publicized the fact that for all these following crimes, we're not prosecuting? And by the way, he's no different than the other DAs. I was with McMahon, the DA, the Democrat, Staten Island. They have a secret list of all the crimes that they don't prosecute. The other DAs, uh, Brooklyn, Queens, uh, the Bronx, they also have a list of we're not prosecuting. They, They just don't publicize it. It's all these DAs. But listen to what Greg Kelly had to say about Alvin Bragg. Listen to this. Democrat Manhattan DA Alvin Bragg reduces felony charge against criminal who has more than 40 prior arrests. This is by Rebecca Rosenberg. The Office of Controversial Democrat Manhattan DA Alvin Bragg downgraded charges against a career criminal who snatched cash from a woman in the subway station, according to sources and court records. Claude Myers, he's 54 years old, who has... 46 prior arrests and is on parole, allegedly unzipped the unsuspecting victim's backpack and withdrew $60 on Thursday at about 5 p.m. inside the Lexington Avenue 63rd Street Station, according to a law enforcement source and, again, court papers. Myers did not realize that a plainclothes transit cop was watching nearby. He allegedly saw Myers count the three $20 bills, then slip them into his wallet. Police arrested him on charges of grand larceny in the fourth degree for removing the property from a person, criminal possession of stolen property, and possession of a controlled substance. But you know something? (laughs) It sounded good. What he originally got arrested for with a witness, undercover police officer, actually witnesses him purloining money out of a backpack. But listen to the rest of the story. But when the... Prosecutors wrote up the complaint against Myers. The top charge was downgraded from felony grand larceny to petty larceny. Court records show Judge Michael Gaffey ordered Myers released without bail. Thanks a lot, Judge. <laughs> so grand larceny felony becomes petty larceny. And let me let me fill out the trifecta, the troika of what happens here. So the guy who has this long record. You can probably look at his previous record and when he was charged with a felony, every DA probably downgraded it to a misdemeanor because they don't want to go to trial. 99.9% of these cases don't go to trial. Uh, They're adjudicated uh, by lawyers. Defense lawyer was probably appointed by the court legal aid uh, with one of the ADAs. And the whole idea is to get rid of the case. So this is how it goes. The guy gets busted on a grand larceny charge felony. It's downgraded to a misdemeanor charge, not as serious, right? Petty larceny. Then, in order for him to cut to the chase, he goes to the ADA through his attorney. He goes, I I don't want to fight this. I don't want to go before the judge. How about I just complete the disorderly conduct of violation? And everyone's happy. The ADA gets that caseload off uh, his or her pile. Uh, The legal aid attorney that we're paying for says, hey, you see, I sprung you. Did a good job, right? Meantime... You better believe this criminal, this lifetime criminal, knows the ropes, knows how to work the system. What? Oh, these are college-educated men and women. They've gone to law school. 
You know, they've gone to Albany law. They've gone to Brooklyn law. They've gone to Columbia law. They're brighter than everyone else. I would rather have average citizens, not lawyers, adjudicate these cases. Because an average citizen would sit there and say, you've been arrested how many times? 48 times? No. But we're not downgrading it from a grand larceny. Common sense. It's the lawyers who convolute this. The lawyers who think they're better than us. They're obstinate. They're pretentious. They think they know it all because they they went to law school and they have a degree. Yet they have no street smarts. In the case of Alvin Bragg, he does. He's a justice warrior. He, He campaigned on the fact that he wants to hug thugs. He wants to turn them loose. He said it right here in a debate that was hosted by John Katsimatidis, Red Apple Media, and WABC against his other seven adversaries in the Democratic primary, three of whom were just as far to the left as he was. So if he had lost, if he didn't get to Soros money, the other three would have, and they would have been just as bad. His only mistake, according to the other DAs, he publicized all the crimes he's not prosecuting. They won't. They should be forced to have to indicate, okay, DA in Queens, DA in Brooklyn, DA in the Bronx, DA in Staten Island, McMahon, I saw you today with a big smile on your face. You prosecute those fare evaders who are not paying on the buses on Highland Boulevard? One of the highest fare evasion rates in the city. The city buses on Highland Boulevard in Staten Island. The Bronx is number one. You know who's number two? Staten Island. Ask him how many prosecutions of fare evading evasion he's done. <laughs> Oh, I'm law and order. Yeah, I'm McMahon. I'm the ambulance chaser. That's right. Now I'm DA. Oh, by the way, my wife is a judge. How the hell can you be the DA if your wife is a judge? Don't we call that incestuous? You think maybe, like, one or the other should leave their office? How the hell can you be the DA if your wife is the judge? Cronyism, nepotism. It's like incestuous. It's only going to get worse. It's not going to get better. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Andrea calling all the way from Florida. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Andrea. Okay, Curtis, you met my husband the other night at El Molino. <laughs> oh, I I'll did. Start with that. I did. Okay. He all really right. liked you. Yeah, all right. Um, it, no, I, I just, I'm, I, I had to leave New York because it's so disgusting what's going on up there. Okay. Where, where, where did you uh, Where did you head to, Andrea? I, I'm in Fort Lauderdale right now. Oh, Fort Everybody's Lauderdale! Coming down. Oh, I know. I was down there two weeks ago, Andrea. Everybody, and they're not there just uh, to get a secondary uh, winter no, residence. No, no, everybody's buying places. It's because it, it's safe. Yeah, Andrea. I, I, listen, I, I lived in Tribeca. I lived in Trump's building. I've lived all over the city, and it it, it broke my heart. It, what's going on up there? Mm. Mm. I mean, I have friends that are still up there, and it's just it, and and a lot of my friends are liberal. And and, Andrea, t- today, today, when I was uh, on my way uh, to the uh, coronation, the installation, the beatification of Judge, uh, his middle name T Landry. I have no idea what T stands for. Uh, <laughs> 
Well, I was there with all these Democrats and Republicans in the company of Andrew Giuliani, who I'm supporting to become the next governor of the state of New York. We are on Richmond Road. I, I, I'd rather have Rudy back, but that's okay. Yeah, hey, look, like <laughs> I like your father and son, you know, Andrew understands law and order issues. Listen, but it, it tip off the old block. That's fine. That's right. So we're on Richmond Road. We're driving out there, and I'm seeing for sale sign, for sale sign, for sale sign. Those people, at the moment they get a buyer for their house, will probably be Asians or Russians, and they'll come, you know, cash. Well, that's what yeah, I, I figured. A half a key is probably like moving to New York now. It, it's just it, it it breaks my heart. I love New York. I I was born and raised in California. I lived in New York on and off for thirty years. My husband was born and raised in Brooklyn, and you, you can't. It's we our last home, and my husband's still there. And he, he can't even be there anymore. No, no, it's just, no, it's Angela, too dangerous. I ran a campaign that said, improve, don't move. I lost. It was a fair election. There was no Dominion, Smartmatic. You know, it didn't go to the paper. I lost, fair and square. But our city lost. Because everyone that I asked, please, don't put up the for sale sign. Please, in Bayside, Whitestone, College Point. Up in the neck, Throg's neck in the Bronx. Out in Brooklyn, southern Brooklyn, I was telling them, uh, Dyker Heights, right, Bay Ridge, over at Sheepshead Bay. Don't, don't, but Marine Park. No, no, improve, don't move, right? Look at at all the for sale signs. You you think these people believe in Eric Adams that he can turn things around? He's had eight weeks. Things have gotten worse. If they get a buyer, they're out of here. They're out of here. And they're in Florida, Georgia, Tennessee, Texas. North Carolina is the number two destination. Florida, number one. North Carolina, number two. Number three is South Carolina, Virginia, and parts unknown. They're out of here. The exodus continues. And it's all about public safety. What happened to the public safety? How can there be more crime now in the first eight weeks of an Eric Adams administration than there were in any eight weeks of a man who single-handedly destroyed this city that we love, Bill de Blasio. And what only one out of five people bothered to vote in the general election. That's right, one out of five. Most of them were Democrats who chose not to vote. Our biggest enemy in the recovery of New York City is the apathy and the indifference that voters have. As Commissioner Bill Bratton said the other day on the Cats Roundtable at 5 o'clock, and he was like the number one supporter of Eric Adams. He he wouldn't even give me uh, return my phone call. <laughs> I didn't call him, but uh, he was a big time supporter of Eric Adams. Even he said, ah, "It's going to have to get worse before it gets better." That means he has resigned himself to the fact that Eric Adams is styling and profiling. He's addicted to TV, but he's not Action Jackson. That's for sure. One eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Let's go, if we can, to Chris, who's calling from Beth Page. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Chris. Hey, Curtis. How you doing? Um, I'm just going to tell you where I'm coming from. Uh, I've been working in the city for 37 years. I live out here in Long Island. So I know, you know, I've taken the subway a million times. I go to Penn Station every day, take the two of the three train down, sometimes switch the chambers, get off, take the one down a wreck there, walk to my office. So I've been doing this for 37 years. So... I agree with a lot of what you say, but I think you're misleading people at times. I'm sorry. I have to say, and if I lived in the city, I would have voted for you over Eric Adams. Trust me when I say that. Okay. This is what I want to say to be fair. 
All right. Now, you know in Penn Station where tracks is, the old bar tracks? Sure. Okay. Right behind that, when you get off the two or the three or the one train, you know, it's in the behind tracks. You know that area right there? Very familiar. Been in and out of there hundreds of times. Right, right. So I used to, in fact, take an extra lunch that I had from work, and I would give it to the homeless there. It's like a whole encampment over there, as you probably know. Sure. So this is what I've noticed. i got to be fair. And I was disgusted by that whole area. And I used to hate walking down that area, too, because you would just constantly be harassed. So, But i got to say, in the last two weeks, I have noticed a police presence there and, and would look to be social workers, uh, you know, trying to move. There used to be about seven or eight homeless guys in that area. Now they're, they're down to, like, one. I'm telling you. And I've noticed the police presence. Then I walk up, and like I said, when I take the two of the three train, and even the one train on the local track, I will notice cops there. I will. And they're not looking down at the phone. And I'll say hi to them. And I'll say, you guys are doing a great job. I'm behind you. And I've noticed this in the last couple of weeks. So what I'm saying is. Well, where do you, where I, do you yeah. think uh, these people have gone, Chris? Do you think they've been removed to a shelter or for a psychiatric observation? No, probably not. But I. So they've okay, been. So, Chris, you're, you're acknowledging the fact that they've been told to pick up their stuff, move, and all they've done is gotten on subway cars and gone to other stations in other places. Yeah, no, you're probably right. And that's so so how, do, how does that resolve the problem, Chris? No, I'm not saying the problem's resolved, but what I'm saying is maybe they've gone to other places, but that used to be a hub where like seven or eight homeless yeah. would be behind tracks. Absolutely. And now, and, and I'm, what I'm saying is you got to be a little bit fair when saying there's no police presence down there. There, I'm noticing. Oh, oh no, Chris, Chris, what are you saying? In terms of Penn Station, it's the most heavily policed area in New York City. You have the Amtrak Federal Cops. You have the state troopers with their Smokey the Bear caps. You have the National Guard. You have the MTA, uh, the state uh, transit police uh, there. You have the NYPD. You have more cops at times than you actually have passengers, commuters, or even homeless or emotionally disturbed. Most of them do nothing. Most of them do right. nothing, Chris. They hold up. They hold up uh, the the walls. No, okay, and I get it. And but another thing I was going to say, speaking of Penn Station, like I said, I've been going there for thirty seven years. Um, it doesn't help at all that they're reconstructing the whole place. It's boarded up. It looks like a shanty town down there. It looks horrible, and they're boarding everything up. Now, you know, three or four years ago, even when that idiot de Blasio was in office, I would go to tracks a lot, the bar, and I'd walk out the back and whatever. When there was more business down there, there seems to be less and less homeless. No, 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 you know no I, I, mean? I know the yeah. exact location you're talking about, but look at the yeah. brand-new Moynihan Station, the extension of the Long Island Railroad, New Jersey Transit, Amtrak, Celia. Why is it there are no homeless and emotionally disturbed persons there? Yeah, no, you're right. Uh, yeah, listen, I agree with you. Well, well, no, no, like because said, they, they made a calculated decision. We're going to hold the line here. We're not going to let them in here. They don't even have a place for you to sit. So if you're a passenger and let's say you're waiting and your train is delayed, taking you to Philly or Washington or Baltimore, you have nowhere to sit because they don't want the homeless and emotionally disturbed. All they're doing, and what this is, Chris, is this is like if we're playing pool and we cue up the ball and we break the balls and they go in different directions. We're just sending them off in different directions 
We're not bringing them to shelters. We're not bringing them to get them the mental health care that they desperately need. It's just shifting around the problem. And so, look, you had this homeless guy in Queens Plaza who came up behind this woman, beat her with a hammer because she wouldn't give up her pocketbook. It'll be interesting to see where he has parked himself all this time. Was he originally at Penn Station? Was he rerouted to these other stations? I'm telling you, there is no effort in the subways to make it safer and better and to provide services for the homeless and for the emotionally disturbed. They're just moving them around from place to place. The person who knew how to do it and has not been asked to share his knowledge, his his voluminous knowledge, Rudy Giuliani, a city that had 2,000 murders a year that he inherited, 5,000 unsolved shootings. In eight years, he turned it from the murder capital of America, the shooting capital of America, to the safest big city in America. And you would think it would behoove Eric Adams to sit down with him and say, we're not going to talk Trump. We're not going to talk to Republicans. We're not going to talk about January 6th. We're just going to talk about public safety and what I might learn from you. Because guess what? He spent two hours with uh, with uh, Andrew Evilized Cuomo at a restaurant in the theater district that's owned by his friends, one of whom has done time for money laundering, that crook. And he had a two-hour meeting. What could Andrew Evilized Cuomo teach Eric Adams about public safety and crime? Nothing. They discuss politics. So how about having a meeting with Rudy Giuliani, the guy who's actually done it? Doesn't mean Eric Adams has to do everything that Rudy suggests, but it's ironic that when Rudy was running against David Dinkins, then Eric Adams said, oh, yeah, Rudy, he's the law and order candidate. He's doing a great job. David Dinkins, my friend, too soft on crime. Now, all of a sudden, he forgot all of that. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Fred in Staten Island. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Fred. Hey, Curtis, I just need a favor before you pass on to the next world. You ready? Yes. That could happen at any moment, I might add. Exactly. Could you please, before this happens, find out where all the money went for the Thrive Program and the police budget cuts? Is there any way we could find that out? Yes. And our people, and our yeah, people yeah. paid off. Yeah, no, no. Oh, absolutely. And, Fred, let, let's bifurcate it. So let's take first – the police budget. So uh, de Blasio and the city council defunded the police budget by a billion dollars. When I ran for mayor, I said I would refund the police. I would put the billion dollars back. Eric Adams said he would refund the police. He actually has taken money from the police budget in his new budget. Did you know that? Right. Yes. Yeah. Right. So he, he's lied. And we let him get away with that because he has not refunded the police but he hasn't even kept them at the same level. He's taking money out of their budget. So so what's going to happen? Well, like, now part two is they're starting to recover more guns, more weapons in the city public schools than ever before. And the brave security officers who are supervised by the NYPD take in, incredible risks because they're not armed. So when they come up on a teenager and they take a weapon from them, let's say a gun or a stun gun or a knife or a machete, you know, that that student could easily turn on them and cause them great harm. Well, he cut that budget. He's laying off 500 security officers in the schools. Right. How is that law and order? 
Exactly. So and the Thrive Program, and that's that's the one. That, 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 that is an absolute uh, crime of the worst proportion. Over five yeah. years, Bill de Blasio circulated one and a quarter billion dollars into a fake, phony, fraudulent Fugazi program called Thrive, administered to by his wife, right. Charlene. Every time she was asked, uh, where's the money? Uh, where, where did it get spent? <laughs> Never answered the questions. Could have been subpoenaed by Tish James. The attorney general only wants to petition, uh, excuse me, only wants to subpoena anybody named Trump. That's She has eyes only for them. Any of the right. DAs, any of the DAs could have subpoenaed it. They wouldn't. Uh, the controller, uh, the Mama Luke uh, Scott Stringer could have done it. The city council president, Corey Johnson, could have done it. None of them have done it. Eric Adams is there. And you know what's happened? They've what? renamed Thrive. It's no longer called Thrive. It's now housed in City Hall. Uh, it has a budget now of $300 million, and they're not doing anything. And he wanted to take this former city councilman, a guy named Cabrera from the Bronx, uh, who actually went to uh, Uganda and praised the president there on video because the president there wanted to kill all gays and lesbians. And he wanted this guy in charge of Thrive. Oh, my God. Wow. I mean, it's, it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. And all during the campaign and before that, in the eight years that Eric Adams was the Brooklyn Borough president, he never once criticized Thrive. He never asked, where is the money? Exactly. Now, you know where the money is, Fred. It's in a bank account in the Cayman Islands or Panama or Switzerland. Uh, And by the way, in addition to that, Fred, do you know that when uh, Bill and Charlene uh, de Blasio left Gracie Mansion, they right. were supposed to go live. They own two buildings on 7th Avenue and 11th Street in Park Slope. The mortgages were actually created for them by Frank Carone, best friends of the de Blasio's, and now the chief of staff of Eric Adams. He's the number one go-to guy. He sits in every meeting. Uh, so wow. they got their money. And now they're living at the Marriott Hotel in downtown Brooklyn. Who do you think is paying for that? I cannot get an answer to that, right? Why is the press corps not demanding to know who's paying for the penthouse apartment at the Marriott Hotel in downtown Brooklyn for the de Blasio's to live while supposedly improvements are made to their home on 7th Avenue and 11th Street in Park Slope? So everybody's paid off. Pretty much. It's the crooked Kings County, Brooklyn, Democratic machine. Meet Esposito yep. went to jail. Clarence Norman went to jail. Vito Lopez, who was in charge, was a perv. He was a corrupt. If he hadn't died, he'd go to jail. Uh, Frank, <laughs> the, the guy who recently was there, uh, grew up with me in Canarsie. Uh, he right. retired real quick when people were answer, asking questions. It is so corrupt there, and de Blasio comes out of that cauldron of corruption, and so does Eric Adams. So why would they be different once they become mayor of the city of New York? No, they're the same, right? So right now, Fred, I I can tell just by the social networking and all the times I've tweeted out, because all the reporters are on my Twitter account from the campaign, I have asked, who is paying for the penthouse apartment at the Marriott downtown? 
that Bill de Blasio and his wife Charlene are living in right now. The wow. simple question, who's paying for it? Show us the documentation, and I would bet you we the sucker taxpayers are. Right, exactly. Well, thank you, Curtis, for that answer. <laughs> you see? You get it straight here. Hey, I know uh, members of the Fourth Estate, you're listening out there. You think maybe you could you could pick up a phone and like ask uh, Bill de Blasio or Charlene or the uh, Frank Caron who uh, arranged for them to have their mortgages at their two houses in Park Slope. Hey, Frank, who's paying for the penthouse that they're living in at the Marriott Hotel downtown? Why is it I can ask it on the 50,000 powerful watch of sound? But the old gray lady, the New York Times, oh, we can't ask that. That would be, uh, we would be violating their privacy. Their, their privacy. They're crooks. They robbed one and a quarter billion dollars from the people who needed it most. These poor, emotionally disturbed, lost souls. They stole one and a quarter billion dollars. Show me the money. Show me the money. Where was it spent? New York's talk station with the king of New York. Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. Every time you come around, you know I can't say no. Every time the sun goes down, I let you take control. So good, so good, Ed Sheeran. Oh, do I have bad habits? Do all of you have bad habits? And our elected officials have the worst habits of all, Democrats and Republicans. But uh, I want to applaud WABC because I just heard that promotion that we are now on TikTok. Um... I believe I have personally, what, 130,000 followers on TikTok because you really got to put up. TikTok, some people don't want to use TikTok as a social networking device because it's run by Red China, Mainland China, their China, not our China, Formosa, a.k.a. Taiwan. But it's an excellent vehicle to get to a brand new generation, especially those who are like uh, 14 to 24, uh, 113,000, I was incorrect. Uh, 113,000 followers, but you have to put on things that are like less than a minute. Uh, so it's good that uh, we've created a TikTok account. We got to find it now on our webpage. You know, those little doohickeys at the top, I don't think they put that. So could you alert them? Because that's a good job that they're getting on TikTok. Because it'll get a whole new generation involved. In fact, uh, the reason that the Guardian Angels were on Saturday Night Live uh, last night, uh, part of a sketch that they did was because of TikTok. You know, uh, some of the people and say, oh, you, you know, oh, you know, they're baby boomers. You know, Curtis Lee was a baby boomer. He just ran for me. And, and the staff said, are you kidding? This guy got 113,000 followers on TikTok. They saw those young huckleberries out there. And so as a result, they had a whole group of people dressed as guardian angels in one of their sketches about the horrible conditions of our subway system. I mean, when SNL starts talking about crime in the city 
and the horrible conditions of the subway and do a whole sketch, a very, very well done sketch, I might add. That suggested Eric Adams, eh, you better start prioritizing that. 1-800-848-9222. So let's see if uh, we can uh, contact our social networking uh, department here and see if we can get a better uh, location where people can actually uh, start tapping into our TikTok. I'm sure uh, the egomaniac Sid Rosenberg probably has a TikTok account. I know Frank Morano is coming up at 1 in the morning, the other side of midnight. TikTok, TikTok, what's that? You know, it's like here's a guy who still goes to the library and looks at microfilm. That's his form of the Internet. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Jennifer calling all the way from Boston. Your turn to be heard here at WABC. Hey, Curtis. Um a couple of quick things, if I could. First of all, I want to thank you and your uh, lovely wife, Nancy, for being uh, a force of good in, in a world that is often dark and, and uh, doesn't feel good. Um, I just appreciate you both more than you know. And when I heard of that poor woman that um, um, I think her first name is Nina Rothschild, the woman that was kicked down the stairs and then hit over the head with a hammer, I just I couldn't help. My, I'm just heartbroken for her, a bright woman at she was not a spring chicken. She's in her 50s, going off to work, coming home at night, doing all the right things with her life. Clearly, it's her, gotten herself through school and worked hard her whole life. And her great reward just for doing the right thing and trying to get home at night was this savage set upon her. So for all, for all of these things that you helped prevent, I'm just so grateful for you being a force of good. And Nancy's just lovely, and I'm glad to have each other and the cats. And if I can say one thing about crime, Curtis. Sure. I heard I heard something the other night, Curtis, and it really ripped my heart out. I actually heard it on WABC um, um, with Deborah Valentine in the morning, and I never heard about it again. But people should know, and I, I want to tell people to trust their instincts, Curtis. Um, this young woman, um, you might have heard about her, Christina Spacuza. She was in Allegheny County, Pennsylvania. And, again, trying to do the right thing, Curtis, not sitting home with her hand out for a check. You know what I mean? She was, she was driving an Uber. And uh, a girl put out a call for a pickup, and she went, and the guy, it was a guy that she ended up picking up, this girl's boyfriend. I don't know how Uber works, cause, but I just, I have a car by God's grace. I've never had taken Uber. Um, so I don't know whether or not you're supposed to see the picture of the person. I know you know who's coming to pick you up. I don't know if you know who you're picking up. But in any event, the police said that the, it was the girlfriend that ordered the car. This guy who had been bailed out, uh, I believe it was two nights earlier, on a gun charge, a known felon. He he robbed this woman at gunpoint in her car as she was trying to earn a living at 9.15 at night. She begged for her life when he put a gun to her head, and she said, no, please, I have four children at home, and she has four young children, Curtis. She's 38 years old, and he killed her. And I haven't heard a peep about it other than that one thing on the 5.30 a.m. news with Deborah Valentine. And I just thought her story deserved to be told. And I thank you for letting me say it. No, no. I, mean, and I, 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 I must uh, confess to you I had heard details of that. We will bring it to the surface. Now, Jennifer, that would be the perfect story since it occurred in Pennsylvania. And our president loves on occasion to get into character. You know, I'm, I'm Scranton, Joe. Scranton, Joe, blue-collar working class. 
If when he does the State of the Union address, obviously we know he needs to talk about um, the Ukraine. He needs to talk about inflation, the economy, and COVID-19. But the question is, is he even going to address crime? It would be so easy for him to use that story of this woman with children, driving an Uber, goes on a call, man gets in who had been released from jail, given bail, and then kills her, robs her, and shoots her. Boy, that would be a story, I guarantee you, who's ever watching, whether they were Republicans, Democrats, or apoliticals, or independents, they would pay attention, just like we did when Jennifer told that story. Did anybody say anything? Did anybody move when they heard that? I'll bet you there were people out there when Jennifer was telling that story that had been related to everyone by Deborah the other morning, our newscaster. They may have even pulled over to hear that story. It was that dramatic. Sort of reminds us of the 19-year-old girl in East Harlem who was working overnights, remember, at Burger King? And the former employee came in, so he knew the layout. And he put a gun to her, and he said, give me the money in the register. She did. She gave him $100. And then remember, she was on the ground. Please don't shoot me. Take me to the safe. He knew she couldn't open the safe. And then he shot her, killed her. That's happening all over this country. I would hope the president, Joe Biden, who has run away from the crime issue, the public safety issue, but he'll certainly have lots of National Guardsmen protecting him and all of the elected officials who will be assembled to hear the State of the Union address. There'll be hundreds of National Guardsmen outside understand that America is under siege, that many of our cities are fear city, and that stories like that rock our souls and demand a response from our elected officials. I don't care if it's a Democrat or a Republican who responds to that. Might be actually nice to hear the president in the State of the Union address actually talk about the horrific crime that is taking place through most of America. Check this out. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. By the way, as we play The Godfather in the background, because it's like the 50th anniversary, they're coming up with a remake. I guess it's out there now. Did uh, Do we have the uh, Frank Morano promotion uh, for his uh, Mob Talk uh, podcast? You do have that. You do have it. Okay, we'll play that towards the end of this hour. It's a very good podcast, I might add. Uh, you actually go... And you see Frank Morano, and he looks like a hitman. He does not look like a mamalooch, a mamalook or a mashad. But we're also going to do trivia here because um, I truly believe that trivia will oftentimes lead to further conversation about a number of issues. And since uh, there's no doubt that Godfather and all of the, the entire trilogies... One of the greatest movies ever made. I, I hate it, the premise of it, because it romanticizes organized crime. You want real organized crime? That's Goodfellas. That's the kind of guys I grew up with. Or even Casino. But this is a romanticization of organized crime, so much so that when I would visit my cousin Joey G, the Cheech from Howard Beach, 
and I would ring the doorbell in Old Howard Beach, it would have this song playing. How, how many people did you know of, not just Italian-Americans, when you would ring their bell, it would be the Godfather theme, or uh, on their phone, their ringer phone plays the Godfather. That's how they know a call is coming in. That's how the feds know, hey, let's get a wiretap from a federal judge on this phone. This guy plays the Godfather theme every time he gets a call. How many of you know of people just like that, men or women? And they don't have to be Italians. They could be like Sid Rosenberg or want to be Italian. Sid Rosenberg, if he could die uh, tomorrow and be born again, he'd want to be an Italian, a supreme cuisine. Yeah, he doesn't want to be like Meyer Lansky. Doesn't want to be like Murder Incorporated, Lepke and Gura, who were the fiercest mobsters of all. In fact, Italian organized crime would actually contract out hits to the Jews, Lepke and Gura and their crew. And they had their burial ground right at Livonia Avenue and Junior Street. I took Sid Rosenberg there one night with the Guardian Angels, and I told him and showed him that. And then we went to Sackman in Newport, Midnight Roses. It's no longer there. And I said, this this used to be the candy store where they would get the egg creams without the eggs with the salted rod pretzels, and they would plan the demise of people. Murder Incorporated, Lepke and Cura. And he was all excited. He said, my people did that? He said, yeah, yeah, Sid. They were tougher than the Italians initially. And then they all went on to be uh, accountants. They went to Baruch College like you did. And they graduated with number two pencils, and they never looked back. Hey, they might have become white-collar criminals, but they weren't going to be knuckle-draggers any longer. Shadrules. So let's talk about this 50th anniversary. There are a number of cuts from what uh, the actual movie was initially. And I want to see if some of the people out there know specifically what these scenes were. In fact, Maestro, uh, let's go to our first cut. They want to have a meeting with me, right? It will be me. Kluski and Salazzo. Let's set the meeting. Get our informers to find out where it's going to be held. Now we insist it's a public place, a bar, a restaurant, some place where there's people so I feel safe. They're going to search me when I first meet them, right? So I can't have a weapon on me then. But if Clemenza can figure a way to have a weapon planted there for him. Now, that scene eventually led to the sit-down at what restaurant in the Bronx? And whose gun was used in that scene? We actually learned about that from trivia last night. We had a long, extensive conversation about the French Connection, one of the other great movies of all time that were made whose actual real-life gun was used in that scene in which Michael Corleone acts like he's got to go to the little boy's room and then he comes back, guns blazing. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And on the 50th anniversary of the uh, 
what, what can we call it? The touching up, the remake, the redo, uh, the new and improved uh, uh, Godfather. Here was the other scene of note that I chose. Godfather, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. You can act like a man. What's the matter with you? Is this how you turn around a Hollywood Pinocchio that uh, cries like a woman? <laughs> what can I do? What can I do? What is that nonsense? Look You spend time with your family? Sure I do. <laughs> Good. Because a man who doesn't spend time with his family can never be a real man. Mm. You look terrible. I want you to eat. I want you to rest well, and a month from now, this Hollywood big shot's going to give you what you want. It's too late. They start shooting in a week. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. No, make him an offer he can't refuse. Famous scene. That's played repeatedly by Sid Rosenberg and Bernard McGurk in the morning show. They play that scene over and over, the truncated edition. And it's it's classic. I mean, it's classic. I don't know what uh, Joe Piscopo would say if all of a sudden I inserted that into the Sinatra two-hour show, uh, sponsored by... uh, Ramsey Subaru, great show, I might add, with Joe Piscopo. He might have a heart attack. You're not saying that's Frank Sinatra there, are you? 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Now, the third scene I've picked, let's see if you pick up on this. As uh, we're dealing with the 50th anniversary remake, touch-up, whatever you want, a tweak job. Listen to this and give me your observations. You don't come to Las Vegas and talk to a man like Mo Green like that. Fredo, you're my older brother, and I love you. But don't ever take sides with anyone against the family again. Ever. Oh, that's classic. Fredo, a.k.a. Chris Cuomo, finally tried to show that he had some chutzpah, some huevos, some culions, and decided to yell at his uh, younger brother, Michael Corleone, who is now running the Corleone crime family. Now, is that crazy or what? You know what eventually that led to. Our number's 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And then my fourth selection from the Godfather's uh, trilogy. Take a listen to this. What I cannot do. I'll give you anything you ask. We've known each other many years, but this is the first time you ever came to me for counsel for help. I can't remember the last time that you invited me to your house for a cup of coffee. Even though my wife was godmother to your only child. But let's be frank, you, you never wanted my friendship. And uh, you were afraid to be in my debt. I didn't want to get into trouble. I understand. You found paradise in America. You had a good trade, made a good living. Police protected you and there were courts of law. But you didn't need a friend like me. 
But uh, now you come to me and you say, Don Corleone, give me justice. But you don't ask with respect. You don't offer friendship. You don't even think to call me Godfather. Instead, you come into my house on the day my daughter's to be married and you ask me to do murder. Money. He ask you for justice. That is not justice. Your daughter is still alive. Let him suffer then. She suffers. How much shall I pay you? Clashing. By the way, Marlon Brando, who played the godfather there, had a cat in his lap when he was talking to the guy, the mortician, who was asking for that favor. Where did he get that cat? Because originally that cat was not in the script. And it's a perfect lead into our 12 uh, o'clock hour, the most listened to, the most requested of all the 20 hours that I do on the weekend when WABC stands for Always Broadcasting Curtis with my wife, Nancy, the Animal Welfare Hour. But he had a cat in his lap. The question I ask all of you Godfather aficionados, where did he get the cat? 1-800-848-9222. One eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Oh, the phone lines are blazing here. All right, let's go first to William in Pennsylvania. Your turn to be heard here on the Godfather Hour here at WABC. William. Good evening, Curtis. The three scenes, as I heard you play them, involve number one, Michael discussing how Clemenza will hide a revolver behind the crapper as it was then called, at an old-fashioned bathroom at a restaurant in the Bronx. The second scene is uh, uh, the Godfather discussing with the the famous singer, Johnny Fontana, perhaps, um, how he could uh, um, arrange to get a part that he was looking for. He said, listen, did you see your mom? Do you play with your cousins? Do you be a man with your family now that you're a famous singer? He said, yes, I do all that. And the third scene involves the time that Michael went out to Las Vegas uh, to let Mo Green know that there was going to be a change in the way he did business. And Mo Green said, you can't just come out here and tell me what to do. Who do you think you are? And little Fredo took Mo Green's side. Michael, by that time in his career, didn't appreciate that. No. I believe believe those were the three scenes in order. Excellent. Excellent. And uh, the name Johnny Fontaine, the singer at the wedding, uh, he was, and I got to say this, this may offend, uh, Joe Piscopo does a great job in the Sinatra two-hour Ramsey Subaru show that just preceded ours. Uh, That was the uh, Frank Sinatra uh, character that was inserted into The Godfather because uh, he wanted the role, if I remember correctly, from Here to Eternity of Private Maggio, and they wouldn't give it to him. And then all of a sudden, you know the rest of the story. He not only got the role, but he won. And the reason I remember this, in 1954, the best actor in a supporting role for that in From Here to Eternity, he actually did an excellent job, if you if you see that. Burt Lancaster there, really great, great role for Frank Sinatra. 
But 54 was the year I was birthed at Brooklyn Hospital, March 26, 54. My birthday's coming up. That's how I remember that. Now, that might offend Joe Piscopo, but, you know, let's face it. Wasn't that who Johnny Fontaine was? That's excellent. William William hit the trifecta, the, tri- the, the trinity of Godfather trivia. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Bill in Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Bill. Yes, uh, Curtis, I'd like to make a couple of points. But you were asking about the cat. Yeah, the uh, cat that was in the lap of Marlon Brando when he was talking to the mortician who was asking him right. for a favor. Wait, now the cat, I believe the, the cat jumped up and jumped, jumped up onto him. Um... That may be partially true, Bill. What had happened is, as I was told, is that there was a cat on the set, not not a feral cat, because a feral cat would never come uh, towards a person, would never sit in their lap, and that Marlon Brando decided he wanted to have the cat in his lap to use as a prop as he was stroking the cat and talking to the mortician. That was actually brilliant. That That was a brilliant move, and this... Was done. You see, Marlon Brando. What made him a great actor is he would improv like that. Right. It wasn't supposed to be there, but he did it anyway. That is correct. And to the credit of the director, uh, he, he let he let them he let them improv a lot. Not not just uh, Brando, but all the other actors and actresses. If they could right. come up with uh, a better way to do the scene, yeah. he allowed him. Right. That's why the movie was so good. It's like you're watching a home movie, not a movie movie. Yep. Brilliant. It's amazing. Brilliant. And also, I wanted to make a comment about you you running for mayor. Not here. I had enough of that out in Staten Island today, Staten Italy. Oh, you should have been mayor. You should have been mayor. Even the Democrats were telling me that. Although, it's like my home away from home. I actually won Staten Island. I think I got about 70% of the vote against Eric Adams. Which is pretty much what uh, Nicole Maliotakis did the last time against de Blasio. I think I did better than Joe Loda in so many different ways. But anyway, it was good. But even Democrats were coming up to me. People that I know were out there getting votes for Eric Adams. Uh, very disappointing. I say, yeah. <laughs> Tell that to the two people who drove their car home. And in their driveway, they got held up at 3 o'clock in the morning. Right there in Staten, Italy. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Bob in Long Beach. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Bob. Yeah, sir. Did you want the name of the restaurant? It was called Louie's. In the Bronx. That was in the Bronx, right. And that's right. And it was in the, it was Louie's. And he told them where he was going, and that's how he, he they told the key call. He had a, a connection inside the police station, you know, the, the Corleones. So he called the connection because the, there were no cell phones back then. So he always had to tell somebody where he was going to be in case there was an emergency. So he told them I was going to be in Louis' restaurant. And that's how they knew where the meeting was going to be. And it was an amazing scene you saw as they were heading over a bridge, one of the smaller bridges. They made a quick U-turn. That, that was the 59th Street Bridge, I believe. No, no, no. Wait a second, Bob. Is it the 59th Street Bridge, the Queensboro Bridge, or the Ed Koch Bridge? Oh, the Ed Koch. Well, we either one. Feeling groovy, you know, the 59th Street Bridge song, you know? 
Bob, Bob, uh, but, but the point being on that, Bob, how ridiculous to have one bridge with three separate names. How ridiculous. It's very confusing. At least they don't want to change the sign 15 times and charge a million dollars a sign, right? Well, you know, it's interesting if you tell the cab drivers, many of them don't even know where the 59th Street Bridge or the Ed Koch Bridge or the Queensboro Bridge is. Well, they're cab drivers. I was a cab driver my whole life. I owned a, a medallion, two medallions. Oh, yeah, medallions. That was like Bitcoin back then, right? Oh, back then it was great, yeah. And then I, but I got out way you know, but it was good I got out right now. I'm telling you, years ago, ladies and gentlemen, having a medallion, in some way looks like a Bitcoin, the actual medallion for a cab, was like having Bitcoin. It kept going up, and then it would go down. It kept going up, then it would go down. And now it's like bottomed out. Uh, you probably could buy a medallion for a cup of coffee and a box of 12 Dunkin' Donuts. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Annie in Manhattan. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Annie. Hi, Curtis. Okay, so the first clip was, uh, I guess the gentleman said Louis, and but the gun was Sonny Grasso's. That's right. Sonny Grasso, if you remember... When the captain, the Irish captain, slugs Michael Corleone, his assistant, the other police officer in uniform, I forget his rank, was actually Sonny Grasso, who himself was uh, one of the most uh, decorated police officers, detectives in the history of the uh, NYPD with his partner, Eddie Egan, uh, who uh, that was the basis of the French Connection, another great movie. But it was Sonny Carson. Uh, not Sonny Carson, excuse me, Sonny Grasso, who said, hey, he's a war hero. You can't do that. He's a war hero. That was Sonny. And they needed a gun. Believe it or not, they didn't have a gun as part of the props. So Sonny Grasso carried this gun around. He said, why don't you use this gun? And that was the gun that was hidden in the back of the commode that Michael Corleone got when he responded to Mother Nature's urgings and then came out blazing. Right. Excellent. You see, Annie, even if you or I or any of us who are baby boomers were on the verge of Alzheimer's or dementia, you know, where we were becoming a little forgetful. (laughs) Now, Curtis, speak for yourself. Well, it happens sometimes. You remember I've been hitting the head so many. But all you have to do is ask trivia about The Godfather and everybody wakes up. Every because they've Great seen movie. that they've seen that movie over and over and over again. And see, Annie couldn't have been more hopelessly right. The great Sonny Grasso, uh, he was a really good friend. Him and Tony Lobianco. Uh, I told this story the other night on the other side of midnight. So I go down to the annual uh, festival. In Little Italy. Twelve days, right? The festival there, you know, the cannolis, the struyadelle, the sausage and peppers. And uh, at the time, Sonny Grasso, big TV producer, big movie producer, he knew everybody. He was Mr. Hollywood, as was Tony Lobianco, who had also starred in The French Connection. And they would have a gathering at the San Gennaro Festival. In fact, Cousin Brucie would do a live show there. It was right down the block. Cousin Brucie would do his live show. He's on WABC now. And they would have this uh, gathering at the restaurant. So I show up. 
uh, Sonny Grasso invited me and Tony Lobianco invited me. And as I go inside, some of the wise guys outside the Bulls, the Genovese boys of Vinny the Chin Gigante, uh, they were a little tired from having carried the saint around in the streets. And, you know, people wanted to prove their machismo by putting up $100 bills, you know, to the vestments of the saint. And meantime, they would bring it to the uh, church of the most precious blood and then strip all the money down, put it in their pockets, and distribute it at the Triangle Social Club while Vinny the Chin was acting like he was Titch, Ubats, Mashug. So they approached Sonny Grasso and Tony Lobianco and said, hey, He's not welcome here. Get him out of there. And both of those guys stepped up to these bulls. These guys were bulls, man. I mean, their their wrists were the size of, uh, well, ham, ham hocks, ham hock wrists. If you had to handcuff them, you wouldn't be able to handcuff them. You would have to body cuff them because there weren't handcuffs big enough in the NYPD for the ham hock uh, wrist that these guys had. We, at least 450, 500 pounds. And both Sonny Grasso and Tony Lobianco showed no fear. They stepped to them and said, he's our friend. He's staying here. And it was high noon. And Sonny uh, Grasso and Tony Lobianco came back and said, you're safe and secure. Don't worry. You can have your pasta azul now. They're not going to shoot you in the back of your head. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Mickey in Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here at WABC. Mickey. Yeah, Mickey. Mi- well. Yeah, Mickey. Did I put you to sleep, Mickey? Uh, <laughs> come on. You, 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 you can admit it. Come on, Mickey. You fell asleep. You, you fell asleep. You fell asleep on me, right? Come on, Mickey. Oh, God. Yeah, yeah, come oh, on. Hey, be, be hey. honest. Be honest. You did fall. You fell asleep on me. I was falling out. Yeah, but no, not no, from no, you. No, no, no. Look, not from you. No, it's no disrespect. It's no disrespect. That happens sometimes. It happens to the best of us. It happens to the worst of us. But to your credit, you heard yes. that voice. Boom. You snapped to attention. Absolutely. Now, here's the deal. I'm going to kill you. But, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead, Mickey. What was the – where was the toll boot? What bridge was that when they were going through the toll boot? You mean Sonny Corleone, a.k.a. Yeah. James Kahn. That's what I wanted. Was that the Verrazano or was that the, the Triborough? What was that? Well, I, I know it was supposed to be out in Jones Beach, I think. You know, where the parking lots are and they had like the, t- you know, in our area, there's like tolls uh-huh. every two, two miles. Yeah, you know, yeah. I think yeah. it was out there. I could be, I could be wrong, Mickey. I could be wrong. Well, I mean, uh, if you're wrong, you're wrong. It's no big deal. I mean, you know. Uh... Oh, no, no, no. It's my honor. It's my honor. Oh, okay. You know, I, I want to impale myself. I'll take a stiletto, a switchblade, and impale myself right here if I'm nowhere near geographically to the toll booth that was there. Oh, yeah, I'll do that, Mickey. Oh, no, no, I mean, no, first no, off, no, you no. fell asleep on me, Mickey. You know I love you. You know I love you, baby. No, who no, loves I, you, pretty I, baby? Who loves you? Uh, who Mickey, is that? Who, I, I don't who is go, that who said that? Mickey, I don't go that Ellie way. Savalas. Yeah, yeah, I, I, that's a Greek guy. Yeah, the bald. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mickey, let me ask you a question. Uh, yes, did sir. you like uh, Did you like the acting that Marlon Brando did, the method acting? Yes. Now, you know, I go way back with, with Marlon in Waterfront. 
you know. Love them. Terry Molloy. Terry Molloy. Great, great film. Great film. Yeah, I mean, you know, that that was like, you know. But you know something? I thought he should have had the part in, you, I don't know who starred in Picnic. You know, the drifter who who got into, who came into town and, you know, he, what was it? Natalie Wood. Uh, was it Natalie Wood? Uh, that, uh, you know, he put the play on and this and that. Hey, by, that the way, by the way, wait a second. Who killed, who killed Natalie Wood? Was it Robert Wagner or Christopher Astori, the Astoria kid? Uh, uh, you know what I'm talking about. Waken, Waken, Walker, Waken. Well, well, I mean, wait. Now, uh, well, we don't. See, I confused you. I digress. <laughs> We don't know. I mean, we don't know who. Come on. We but know who I did was, it. Come on. Was it Christopher uh, well, or was it Robin? Come on. Uh, toss a coin. Yeah. <laughs> now, now, do you know about Marlon Brando? Not only was he a great actor, but he could yeah. not remember his lines. So you know how they handled that? Oh, oh, oh yes, yes. Yeah, you go ahead. All right. So they would get pieces of oak tag in between scenes. Uh-huh. They would get a big Sharpie. They would print yeah. his words out. So if he's talking to, like, uh, Sonny or he's talking to Michael or any of the others or Tom Hagen, they uh-huh. would have to wear the oak tag, like, on their suit. And if you notice, Marlon would turn his head one way and turn his head the other way. Notice how he always did that as the godfather. Uh-huh. He would be looking at the lines that were written down on the oak tag that were attached oh to the actor or actress that would directly opposite him. Whoa. Yeah. Damn. Wow. And, you know, well, remember, you know. they would when they would film a scene, sometimes they would film it depending on uh, what they were looking for 20 yeah. times, 22 times, but, 24 times. But, but check this out. Marlon Brando, one of the greatest actors that ever lived. Yes. What was his sign? Mm. Take a good guess. Aquarius? We 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 relate to this man. Now, I'm going to ask you a trivia. I said Aquarius. Was I correct? No, 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 no. No, 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 no not Aquarius. Now, I'm going to ask you uh, a question that was always alluded to. Remember Hollywood Squares? Yes, yes, yes. There was Hollywood a... Squares, but I never really watched it too much, but go ahead. I know. Well, it's now on Talk TV, Fox News, MSNBC, CNN. They have like eight people, eight guests. It might as well be Hollywood Squares. Nobody ever has enough time to speak. You know, they get like two seconds. But anyway, there was a regular guy who appeared on Hollywood Squares. It was alleged to be the male <clears throat> Kumada of Marlon Brando. Do you know who that is? Alleged? Well, my father said it was it was true. But, hey, I want to give them the benefit of the doubt. Well, you know, but, you know, my uh, my, my my great-great-father used to say, don't believe anything you hear and only hear for what you see. Well, I got to tell you, when you listen to my show, you got to believe everything you hear. Because if you challenge me to come up with the documentary evidence, I may all of a sudden become quite forgetful. So the question I have here is, it was always alleged that Marlon Brando was, uh, as he would call it now, bisexual. He certainly loved women, but he loved some men too. Who is it that he shared an apartment with? Who was it that appeared regularly on the Hollywood squares? You would look at this guy and you would say, it's like Barney Fife, but he wasn't Barney Fife. 
of uh, Mayberry RFD. But he he looked a lot like Barney Fife. Who was this male Gumana of Marlon Brando? 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Rosemary calling from Westchester. Your turn to be heard here at WABC. Rosemary, on this, the 50th yeah. anniversary of The Godfather. Okay, please don't cut me off because I have a couple of things to say. Please. Oh, a couple. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold on. You come uh, to me. Wait, wait. Say. You come to me to to call me, and now you tell me you have a whole bunch of things you want to discuss. you think that is appropriate? Because you threw a new question at me. Come on, I'm trying okay, to answer all right, it. You're it right, you're right. Something. You're, you're right. He you're played right. in Mr. Peepers on TV with the thick glasses, but in, before my time, I'll have you know, Wally so, something. I Wally, can't remember does his Wally, name. Does the name resonate Wally Cox? That's him. And the other thing, I have a dispute with you. I think you're wrong about the connection between Fontaine, West Sinatra, through Puzo. He wrote that, but... The scene about getting the movie role was more about when Sinatra years ago wanted to get out of playing before one of the big bands, and I can't name it, but he wanted desperately to get out of a contract, and he got help in quotes. And it wasn't for the movie role. He got that begging and scraping on his own and help from Ava Gardner, but it was a contract that he wouldn't, they wouldn't let him out of until he got assistance, okay? That's what I read. Yeah, no, no, you are correct. You are absolutely correct. Oh, my and goodness. Maybe I have converged both into the Johnny Fontaine character because, remember, eventually Tom Hagen goes out and visits the uh, producer who all of a sudden yeah. had Shirley Temple upstairs uh, in his bed and ended up with a horse's head in his bed instead, remember? Yeah, the pedophile producer. Well, thank you for letting me talk. And it was, it's a very fun show. And I like about how you mentioned the cat who was in the studio as a mouser. And he just um, came up to him. Yeah, no, no, no. To his credit, uh, that really helped in the scene. Marlon Brando, when he was talking to the mortician who wanted a favor from the Godfather, actually saw the cat near the set, went, picked up the cat, Put the cat in his lap, which meant he was very cat-friendly because a cat can pick up right away the vibes. If you're not cat-friendly, you would have jumped out of his lap, would have scratched him. And yet, if you notice, he was very docile sitting there in his lap. Now, the question is, when Marlon Brando was doing scene after scene after scene, because, you know, sometimes it would take 24, 26 cuts just to get that one scene. Do you think he was ever thinking about Wally Cox? People know what Wally Cox looked like. He was like a nebbishy, schlubby pisher, a real schmendrick, but a talented, talented, uh, I guess you could call him an actor, a bit player. Wow. See, back then, you couldn't mention that. That was like, hush, hush, mush, mush. That was a bisexual. Oh, what's that? It was hard enough dealing with uh, the fact that when you took a guy like uh, Liberace, who actually had the number one variety show on television. You knew this guy was gay, right? He was like Elton John, right? You knew he was gay. And he's doing interviews. Oh, my girlfriend, she's coming over in a little bit. We got to end this interview. You know, uh, I, I got to get all dolled up for my girlfriend. It was really his boy toy. But everybody, if you were a success 
like Liberace was, had the number one variety program in America. He was the biggest Mameluke. His mother lived in Milwaukee. But they pretended that the reason that he had to cut interviews short is any moment his girlfriend was coming over and, you know, you had to get all dialed up. Dialed up for your girlfriend? Your girlfriend is supposed to get dialed up for you. But back then in the film, a very plausible very he's he's somewhat effeminate, but it, it, it's very plausible. Because if he was good, right, you made all kinds of excuses. If he wasn't that good, mm, you said, mm, "Guy's a light loafer," right? That's what they would say. One eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Let's go if we can to Mike in New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Mike. Yeah, Mike. Robert Wagner, you ask, you keep changing the subject or the question. You ask who murdered Natalie Wood. It's obvious, just like me and you think, Robert Wagner. So you get that TV show. Hold on. Before you malign Robert Wagner, who was selling us insurance there on TV. What about Christopher Walken, the crazy guy from that story? Oh, man. He didn't get a TV show with that girl. He, the Robert Wagner still married that yeah, old lady. Remember Heart to Heart? Who, you might be too young to remember Heart to Heart. Now, Mike, thinking right after of... Murder Nally, go ahead. Who was the most successful of the many guests on Saturday Night Live? The reason I bring that up is the Guardian Angels were on Saturday Night Live last yes, night while I was doing the program here. But who was one of the most successful guests to come on Saturday Night Live over and over again? In the 70s, it was actually Robert Wagner. No, Christopher Walken. Christopher Walken. He, he, he was insane. He was psychotic. You look at him and you would say, this guy's from Astoria, Queens. He is crazy. Yeah, if you saw the deer hunter, you would know that. And you've seen the deer hunter, so you know that. He's oh, still crazy. But, but what I'm saying is, Robert Wagner, would you admit that the show Heart to Heart, he was banging that check? Um, I don't know. She was good looking back then. I don't know. I didn't ask about that. I asked about who killed Natalie Wood off Catalina. I'd say, if you looked at both of them, right, Robert Wagner, Wasp. You know, you're sort of like, um, how can we say he was? Like Rock Hudson. Rock turned out to be gay. I'm not saying Robert Wagner was. But if you had to choose in a lineup, right, you only had one choice. Crazy-looking Christopher Walken or Robert the Wasp. He looked like he just came from the country club, Wagner. Who would you pick as the probable murderer of Natalie Wood in the Pacific Ocean off of the island of Catalina? 1-800-848-9222. He knows New York. He is New York. Cred that the others don't have. Curtis Lewa. Talk Radio 77 WABC. 50th anniversary of the making of The Godfather. They're redoing it, tweaking it. I don't know what they're doing to it, but it is amazing uh, how uh, the mayor... For the city of New York, that's what I always refer to him as, Rudy Giuliani. You can pipe it down here a little bit. Pipe it down here. Can actually quote for you. Here's the guy who took out the five heads of Italian organized crime. The Bananos, the Lucchese's, the Colombos, the Genovese, the Gambino crime families. Rudy Giuliani, U.S. Attorney for the Southern District, he can quote all the lines from The Godfather. 
A lot of people say, hey, I, I thought you hated organized crime. I did, but he, he loved the Godfather movie. I always had beef with him on that. got to be honest with you. But I figured I would give you a treat on the 50th anniversary because for a lot of you, like, uh, who is that? Tom there was asleep, right? I woke him up. He tried to act, oh, no, I was really awake, right? I should drink two gallons of Red Bull before you call up Curtis on my many hours of the Curtis Slewa Show, which are about 20 on the weekends. Anyway, let's go to Eileen in Piermont. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Eileen. Yeah, Curtis, I have two questions for you, okay? Why are you always picking on Elton John? Number one. Okay, and what's number two? Why are you such a schmuck? Well, am I a schmuck or am I a putz? You're both. That's true. Uh, like Chuck E. Cheese Schumer, who is a schmuck and a putz. Did Eileen hang up? I admitted to being a putz, and then she said, but you're also a schmuck, right? So I said, yeah, it could be the two, like uh, Chuck E. Cheese Schumer. Wow. Boy, she hurt me. That you think that hurt me, being called a schmuck? But yeah, I got to tell you, I remember the Tunnel to Tower run when it first started. And I would be invited every year to start to fire up the crowd, fire up the crowd. And there were, there were a few thousand people who came there, not like it is now. It's an institution. But at the beginning of it on the Brooklyn side over uh, near Carroll Gardens, uh, everybody would assemble before they'd run through the Brooklyn Battery Tunnel. I'm not calling it the you carry Tunnel. That's ridiculous. It's the Brooklyn Battery Tunnel. And so there would be a stage, and every year there would be then Vito Fisella, who fell from grace, remember, but now he is the Staten Island Borough President. Uh, Congressman Anthony Weiner, who fell from grace, now he's my partner, Saturday afternoons, 2 to 4 here at WABC, says he's not running for political office again. And there was the schmuck to putz, Chuck E. Cheese Schumer. And all four of us would speak. And Schumer would always get upset because I knew no boundaries. I would say in the aftermath of 9-11, at the very end of my speech, I would say, and let's take all of these guys and put them in the Paradise Express and zoom them right up to Allah's side so that they could have unprotected sex with 70 vessel virgins, right? And the crowd would go crazy. Schumer didn't like that. Uh, Fasella and Wiener left. Schumann didn't like that. So then the next year he lobbied for me not to be there. But to their credit, the family said, no, no, Curtis has been here since the beginning. He's got to be here. So the schmuck the putz, Chuck E. Cheese Schumer, charges the stage because people in the crowd were calling him Chuck E. Cheese Schumer. And he, thin skin. Oh, you call me Chuck E. Cheese Schumer? Why don't you run against me? What In front of all these people. He's having a meltdown. And you know me, I loved every second of it. And so then I was no longer invited to sort of kick off the event at the annual Tunnel to Tower run on the Brooklyn side, the Carroll Garden side, before all the runners would go through the tunnel and then meet up on the uh, World Trade Center site. Now you know the rest of the story. That's the Paul Harvey uh, lockup, the rest of the story. 1-800-848-9222. I was so insulted being called a putz. Don't make that a schmuck. Don't make that both. 
But at times I am. There's no doubt about it. I'll be the first to admit that. 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Glenn calling from Middle Village. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Glenn. Yeah, brother. Listen, uh, the one you were talking about, you said you were right. It was Wally Cox, and supposedly there was a, a picture of uh, or a video of tape of him uh, doing fellatio on Marlon Brando. But I have a, a trivia question. Uh, question to ask. Let me, before you ask me the trivia question, Glenn, what makes you think I'm your brother? You started uh, the conversation by saying my brother. What makes you think I'm your brother, Glenn? I um, didn't, I didn't mean to insult you. Hey, hey, please. I'm not your brother. I'm not, I don't have a brother. I have only sisters. So please don't use that term on me. Okay, Glenn? Uh, Yeah, I did that in jail one time, and somebody said the same exact thing that you just said. Let me tell you something. I worked at it. Glenn, uh, (laughs) if you were in jail with me, an 8x4-foot cell, I guarantee you, you'd be my Maytag. I guarantee you wouldn't be my Maytag. Oh. You'd you'd be my Maytag. Oh, tough guy. Can I ask you the question? Yeah, of course, of course, Glenn. I worked there 21 and a half years, Hmm. so you can't tell me anything, and you've talked to me before. It was me, you, and... uh, who was the other guy? Um, uh, the sweater. Not the sweater. The sweater? What, Perry, Co- Perry Como? No, 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 no. The sports guy. <laughs> oh! I remember I talked about my wife. I couldn't get I couldn't oh, get into the hospital. Salzburg. My wife. Salzburg. Yeah, yeah, yeah Salzburg. Yeah. That's right. I remember. Oh, oh. And we were very apologetic oh, when you called I, up. We were very apologetic. Listen. Yes. Oh, uh, and one other thing. Oh, there it is, your wife. She, do you have her locked in a closet back there? No, no, she's yelling because now she she's yelling at me. She hears me. Oh, the dog, Listen, too. The dog, too. Yeah, the dog. I got a, it's a Labradoodle, but it's about 45 pounds. So oh. It's not like a little dog. Hey, man, he's he a lot. Played, a lot of dash dog food there. Who played hmm. in Sopranos that was also in The Godfather? Now, that might have been already told. No, before, no, no, so no, no wasn't. That, that's interesting. I'm, I'm, I was not a big Sopranos fan. I wasn't really a big Godfather fan. I loved, uh, obviously, uh, uh, Goodfellas uh, and Casino. I thought those were more realistic, more real life. Now, who is it that played in both? It was Uncle Junior who played the guy in, uh, I think, Miami. Now, that he either got choked out, but he was in... uh, he was in the uh, Godfather before he was in The Soprano. Uncle okay. Uncle Junior yeah, likes okay. to sing. Okay. Yeah, he likes to sing. And then remember in The Sopranos episode, he was a little titch to Bats, Meshug, and shot Tony, right? His son-in-law. <laughs> he almost I killed Tony. I believe he did. But I, you know what? I know he didn't say my brother, which you got offended by. But by the I'm way, Glenn, uh, how many years in jail did you do? Twenty-one and a half, right? You're seventy-six, which you've been to, and yeah. I started in eighty-four. Hmm. And what did they? And I cl- know you were there. What did they? Oh, I was. But what did they clip you on, Glenn? What do you mean clip? Well, you know, arrest you for? No, no, no. I was a CO. Oh, a correctional Come officer. We a screw. Yeah, screw a turnkey, whatever you want to say. Oh, and so now you're going to be the tough guy. So if we're both in a cell, an eight by four foot cell, you're telling me you wouldn't be my Maytag as a CEO? But you said that first. Of course, I wouldn't be your Maytag. We'd be good buddies, but not butt buddies. Yeah. But you, yeah. I, you, <laughs> yeah make, make sure that, Glenn. 
All you got to do is make sure, make sure I get my commissary right. Oh my God, this guy saw—he saw me on the rock. You see, I, I love all these politicians. Oh, Rikers Island. Oh, they go there for like a half-hour visit. They're having an X-lax attack, right? Uh, one of the inmates, they decide, let me act crazy, right? Let me threaten this guy because you can see, man, he's he's a real pisher, right? And then they give him uh, defecation education. They throw a pail of defecation at Oh, my God. Oh, I might get typhoid. Meantime, I've been locked up there. You would think they would. Curtis, uh, what is it like? Am I because I'm right now? Nah, we can't ask Curtis. You know, he's a street urchin. He didn't go to college. He didn't go to an Ivy League school. Yeah, oh, they know a lot about Rikers Island, right? Sometimes they ask people who have no idea about nothing, but because they graduated a prestigious university, master's degree, Ph.D., what would they know about Rikers Island? What did they have? A cup of coffee there? And you really think they were in the general population? Really think? They were probably over by Punk City, protective custody, looking at these rats, you know, were being fed their uh, Parmesan cheese at the time. And that guy got me all worked up. Anyway, let's go to Dale, south of the Mason-Dixon line, where they still fly the stars and bars, the flag of treason in Sumter, South Carolina, where our Civil War first began, Dale. Uh well, that's that, you know. <laughs> you know, things happen. Anyway, um, I wanted to tell you about the uh, the scene. It's in the second movie of, of The Godfather, and you got Marlon Brando, and you got the little kid. For some reason, they were eating something. Do you know what they were eating in the in the garden there? Oh, you think it was a uh, a bajina- like a watermelon or something? Nah, I don't think it was. What, what was it? Bajinaco, parsley. Whoa, 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 whoa. This is when the Godfather was chasing the the little boy around, right? No, the little boy. I think chasing. <laughs> <laughs> that damn poison he killed his ass. <laughs> I, I'm not kidding you. Oh, what, what, you, you wait a second. Know, you gotta see it. Damn, you gotta damn. see it in a way. What do you think? That, uh, what What do you think of Italians? Huh? Come on, I, let's I, be honest. Hey, hey, you rebel, man. <laughs> By the way, uh, Dale, how many Olive Gardens do they have down there in Sumter, South Carolina? Olive Gardens. Yeah. Uh, you talking about the restaurants? Yeah, right? yeah. You know where they give you free breadsticks. I don't know about that, but I think we might have maybe two, maybe three, but not in Sumter. We mm. was going to have one because they were they were putting in a uh, Red Lobster, and then somebody said, well, they're going to put an Olive Garden down the road. But uh, for some reason, I think the Red Lobster outbid the Olive Garden. Oh, no <laughs> doubt. But, Dale, uh, this is going to be your assignment from the Curtis Lee oh, Show is I want you to go to that Olive Garden because they pretend that it's Italian food. And they get uh, suckers, I mean guys like you, to go there because they give you an extra basket of breadsticks. Just like they did on that vacation thing. They show everybody having exclusive French uh, dinners and things, you know. And then it goes to the kitchen where they just take a bunch of TV dinners and they put them in the plates. And That's stuff right. And did, them. did you ever have the Did you ever have Dale Swanson TV dinner? Oh, man. Hey, you put a little bit of cheese on it. That's dessert. <laughs> yeah, no, hold, hold on. Well, hold, hold on. Hold on. Now, wait a second. Hold on. I got to straighten you out. Recently, our mayor, Eric Adams, 
described eating cheese as being worse than shooting up heroin, Dale. Eating cheese is worse than shooting up heroin, according to the mayor of New York City, Eric Adams. What do you think of that, Dale? Let's put it like this, you know, um, I ain't too cheesy about stuff like that either. (laughs) Now, now, have you ever asked for the Parmesan cheese when you went to a restaurant? No, sir. I don't put Parmesan cheese on my spaghetti. I put meatballs and maybe a little bit of onions and a little bit of this, that, you know, and kind of make you what it wants to stand up and slap you in the face, you know. Everybody always gets it all over their face, even the little kids when they're eating spaghetti. Bad spaghetti, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Dale, uh, this is what I want you to try. When you go to the Olive Garden, because this is your assignment to go to the Olive Garden, get the extra uh, basket of breadsticks. That's that's yes. the lure. Uh, and ask for the Kraft Parmesan cheese. The Kraft right. Parmesan cheese. Uh-huh. Hey, can I ask you a question real quickly? Like, y'all were talking about um, all, uh, the atomic bombs that they dropped over there in uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Yeah, where, where, where the hell did he get this from? We're talking about Olive Garden, extra baskets of free breadsticks, the lure. The fact that he doesn't put Parmesan cheese on his spaghetti and meatballs. He's like a kid. You know, it's like he died and went to heaven. And all of a sudden, he's going to be asking me about Hiroshima and Nagasaki and the dropping of the atomic weapon. That's what happens when you get three-eyed cousin fornicators who call up from south of the Mason-Dixon line. He probably lives in a trailer park, you know. You know, with the rebel for the flag of trees and the stars and bars, probably still has pictures of Robert Lee up. No, no, not the general Robert Lee, you know, from the TV series. You know, General Robert Lee, remember that? And what kind of car were they driving around? That's that's a good trivia question because uh, if it were in Goodfellas or The Godfather, they'd be hot wiring that car. 1-800-848-WABC and then taking it to a chop shop for the parts. 1-800-848-9222. Oh, Eileen is back. The woman who called me a schmuck, no, make that a putz, right, Eileen? Yeah, Curtis. Listen, let me tell you something. I really do like you. I do. But my question, well, first of all, the General Lee was on the Dukes of Hazard. Very good. The car. But my question is, why are you always picking on my boy, Elton John? Now, I will answer that question. If you would answer the question, did you in your lifetime, Eileen, ever wear a pair of Daisy Dukes? No, I didn't. You should try. You really should, Eileen. Curtis, I'm 64. Doesn't matter. Gravity is not my friend. You well know that, sir. I know, but you can always go to your grave whenever it happens, knowing that you slipped into a pair of Daisy Dukes. All right. Will you answer my question yes, yes, about of course. Elton? You are, you are very kind not to call me a schmuck and a putz again. I'm although, not going to call you. You're a good man. Yeah, you are. but at times I am. I am both. But I am too. 
I am too, and I'm part Italian, part Irish, part German, wait, wait, part Spanish, wait, wait, part Italian, wait, wait, wait. part Eileen, British. Eileen, I'm you, a mongrel. I know, but you're a female. You can't be a putz. You can't be a schmuck. You do know what those words mean. Yeah, I know. Okay, I know right. Yiddish. Uh, so let's why go. Why you pick on Elton John? Well, let me be perfectly honest with you about Elton John. I love him. I know, but my favorite was, my was not Elton John. It was Liberace. Before there was Elton John, there was Liberace. You do realize that, Eileen. Yeah, there were great piano players. Yes, and uh, they dressed. Oh, I took them H word. That, 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 no, they they dressed very similarly, right? Very yeah, ostentatiously. Classy. Yeah. But, you know, I played piano for four years, and I'm telling you. Liberace played better piano than Elton John. That's really what it comes down to. Well, we agree to disagree on that one, and I'm going to leave it alone. Okay, Eileen. But I still love my Elton, and I love you, Curtis. Oh, God, please spare me. I don't need to be loved by Eileen. Let's go to Frankie calling from Pelham Bay. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Frankie. You the man. I must say one thing. For what you do without a guest, you keep you keep it rolling on. But the, the reason I called is uh, I want to talk about the Radio Hall of Fame. I have a question for you. Sure. You, Joan Hamburg, uh, John Gambling, are you in it or no? Well, first off, John Gambling uh, and his father and his grandfather, the trifecta, the troika, the trinity, yes, they are. Joan Hamburg, absolutely. She's the queen of talk radio. And you should be in it, too. Well, there are forces at work here to try to marginalize me, Frankie. I'm glad you brought that How up. How much does it cost? You got to pay some money under the table? Well, you know, in life, right? <laughs> if you pay the schedule, you get whatever. <laughs> Am I right, right, Frankie, right? I got one other minor thing I want to tell you. Last time I called up, it wasn't you. I asked another guy a difficult question, and he hung up on me. Oh, that had to be Frank Morano. No. Sid Rosenberg. His initials are C.H. Oh. That's what I'm saying. Oh, so Christopher Hahn, the aggressive progressive, introduced him to Mr. Click. But going back to my point, see, he caused, he tried to get me to digress. There are forces at work here at WABC who are trying to box me in only to the weekends. They don't want me on. In the course of the broadcast week, Monday through Fridays, not even for five minutes, never mind five seconds. I will be exposing that in future programs. I know who is in that cabal. They have met. They have taken action to keep me in this 20-hour box on the weekend when WABC stands for Always Broadcasting Curtis. Over the course of human history, history. there's been Noah's Ark, savior of mankind, St. Francis of Assisi, foregoing his wealth to be savior of all animals, and Curtis Sliwa, guardian angel and savior of New York City, protecting both man and beast. The Curtis Sliwa Show presents... Curtis's Ark. From bipeds to quadrupeds and everything in between. Now, here's Curtis Lewa. Still don't know what a biped and a 
quadruped is. Uh, but that being said, don't throw those $5 words at me or those multi-syllabic words there, Chris Libertini. This is really a show about animal welfare, and the star of this hour is my wife, Nancy, the animal rescuer. Uh, out of the 20 hours of talk radio that I do on the weekends, this is the most highly rated, the most requested, and the uh, one hour that people interact uh, most, both during the show and also after the show, uh, when they give us uh, inquiries about uh, animal situations uh, that they have that they need answers to. So once again, we welcome to the microphones uh, my wife, uh, Nancy Sliwa. Thank you for having me on again, Curtis. And notice uh, when we did the uh, 50th anniversary of the Godfather movie, uh, one of the main scenes in which Marlon uh, Brando, the Godfather, is talking to the mortician who wants a favor is he has a cat in his lap, and it turns out that Marlon Brando decided to uh, grab the cat who was on the set, put him in his lap so as to make the scene even better and notice how well managed that cat was, because, you know, if a cat doesn't want to be there, they'll scratch, they'll run, they'll jump. And that was incredible, I, I, if you can remember that scene, Nancy. Now, how, how different would that scene have been if instead of a cat, it had been just like a big, goofy dog? <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't have worked. <laughs> exactly. I think cats are much more regal. They have that um, element to them where they're unknown, but... Yeah, I think a, a dog would, would have just ruined that scene. Now, there are a number of issues that have surfaced this week in the pet world, in the animal community, amongst our friends, uh, our animal uh, uh, members of our family, and also those that live in the wilds. But apparently, study after study now indicates that pets will slow cognitive and mental decline. Can you explain that? Yeah, so the study was focusing um, specifically on average age of around 65 years old. And, it, uh, you know, the study was around six years, and it, it measured people's cognitive ability um, at the start. And then um, after the six years, so comparing people uh, with pets uh, versus having no pets, and it showed that there is a correlation between the pet ownership and you know, maintaining the cognitive abilities. So, I mean, and, and there was a couple of reasons cited for it. Um, and basically, like, the interaction with the pets, but um, the number one um, factor that they determined was alleviating stress, and stress is the cause of so many um, other types of ancillary um, ailments in the body. And so I think that that was pretty much the overall biggest conclusion, that lowering the stress levels um, really is what caused the... Um, the ability for the brain to maintain uh, its cognitive process and, you know, also interacting uh, with the animals. So whether you're going out walking them like a dog or you're playing with them, that sort of level of interaction they found to be helpful. Now, I noticed that uh, many correctional facilities, especially for inmates who are long-term servers uh, and even the seniors uh, who are in long-term senior citizen complexes, that increasingly they are introducing them to pets because they they note that in study after study, it also brings uh, to the inmate or to the patient or to the senior citizen a much better quality of life also. I mean, and I think that makes sense because it brings increased quality of life for anyone who's a pet owner in general. So 
uh, once you start talking about like those situations and you have probably a, a decreased ability to interact on your own, to do your own things, now you have um, something very specific and I think something that makes you feel uh, like you're really accomplishing an important purpose. I mean, this would be something that really should be done so much more because of the amount of time that you have uh, shelter animals who are spending time by themselves in cages. I mean, a lot of them get very little uh, socialization. So it would be a win for the animals in addition to the people. So, I mean, hopefully that gets um, introduced more and more. Now, California has a new law uh, in Sacramento that will be debated and possibly uh, passed into uh, to, uh, uh, the actual working uh, workings that humans have with animals about basic rights for dogs and cats. Can you explain that? Um, yeah, it's I guess it's like the equivalent of like a bill of rights for for dogs and cats. Um, unfortunately, I think it's a lot of it's. I mean, it sounds great in practice, right? Just to um, sort of assure that animals have a certain level of care. Most of this is related to just, um, you know, like sort of a preventative um, veterinarian care, um, food and water, obvious, you know, shelter, um, you know, but uh, I think the problem is there's really no enforcement mechanism uh, associated with this bill. So like, for instance, in New York City, when there's an issue with anything animal related, I mean, it's in the the control of the NYPD at this point. So they're the ones you would have to call. And obviously, you know, unfortunately, animal issues become very low priority. So I think it's very tough um, to enforce what in theory sounds like a, a great idea. Um, and then also, you know, their their penalties are like, oh, you know, the first time it's like a warning. I mean, I'm not sure how that would really make sense that you give a warning if, you know, one of these basic rights is being denied, like food or water. But so, again, in theory, it's great. Now, what would have been great is if instead of it just being exclusively for indoor pets, that if they extended it to outdoor cats, because um, I've noticed that here in New York, especially with all the outdoor, the feral cats that we take care of, uh, there's, you know, it's like there's this um, mix of laws where you're permitted to feed them. It's a misdemeanor, technically, if someone starves them or prevents, you know, them from eating but yet at the same time, you don't have the right to go into, you know, public, quasi-public property. or So, you know, it, I mean, that's, I think, where the laws really need to, to firm up um, to the protection of the outdoor animals. Um, because, again, the, the, the pets, that's, that's, that's going to be a really tough one to enforce, honestly. I noticed that as people are fleeing the battlegrounds of the Ukraine, we see many of the videos that show uh, Ukrainians so concerned uh, about their pets, especially their cats and dogs, that they're, they're bringing them in carry cases, even though there may be no room on the buses or the last trains that are leaving. They refuse to leave their pets behind. I mean, when you think that people are carrying all of the belongings they possibly can in, like, just two hands, I mean, I've seen people carrying the jugs of water. I mean, so to prioritize your pet, I think, is beautiful. I'm glad they're not being left behind um, in mass. So it's like, yeah, I think that certainly speaks volumes in terms of how much they they love their pets. Then I noticed uh, in the news, a Michigan man has been banned for life from hunting. Now, anyone who's ever been in Wisconsin or Minnesota or Michigan, there's a whole hunting lodge culture, uh, whole sections of the year. You can get a license to hunt legally. 
What did this guy do to be banned for life from hunting? Well, yeah, and this is great because this is one of the few times I've seen the the penalty actually including jail time. I mean, he's going to serve 18 months. So, so like, I, this is this is a great um, end result here for this guy. But he, I mean, so again, right, the, the mix of laws that you need to have the the license. So, I mean, he didn't have the license, but then also um, he's not even supposed to be um, shooting these uh, like the large deer. I think they were white tails or something like that. Um, he he owns a gun and he previously had been a felon. Now, what's interesting is he was at the time that they found out. So they went to his um, his uh, home based on like a tip from somebody, and in the barn they found uh, the basically the heads of all these animals. So um, and then they found like the the carcasses being left elsewhere. Now in hunting, in like the world of hunting, that's like a a huge offense that you would just um, have the the entire body go to waste. I mean, you I mean, you're not supposed to do that. So I think it offended a lot of people who are hunters. But he wasn't supposed to do this. It was very gruesome the way that he had actually, you know, sort of removed the the heads as well. And he was on he was in jail on charges. He had been arrested for domestic violence, right? So it's kind of an interesting thing that you know this constant connection between people who abuse animals and that really was like abuse of what he was doing technically and you know abusing people so i mean i think it's you know further to that sort of that end that there is that connection now on the law and order front i see uh, dateline a story in which uh, a goat actually chased a criminal suspect what was the outcome of that nancy yeah that, that was just an interesting story so the goat was on the uh, like in the outdoor, in the land, when they were uh, trying to arrest someone who wound up getting away from them. So now the the cops were running after uh, this this suspect, and he, you know, I mean, because it's because it's outdoors, they're, they're having to like jump through fences, and it's you know, it's like kind of a wooded area. And I'm not really sure what the the personality of the goat would be, except that I can only imagine it it was just joining in and what the cops were doing. So. Maybe it just momentarily felt like part of the team, but the goat actually wound up being the one who did actually tackle this guy. <laughs> so he just somehow got in on the chase and was the one who actually got the suspect after he fled. Wow, did they make the goat a deputy uh, sheriff or an auxiliary cop after that? I don't, I don't think so, but they did, they did, po- they did have pictures with him. So I, I think he, he got like a semi honor. Wow, can you imagine a billy goat just uh, sort of butting <laughs> you into the wall until the cops come to cuff you? <laughs> I mean, exactly right, because they have you know like dogs that that assist and arrest. So maybe now this is a new thing they can use in uh, Virginia. Now this next story is something I can relate to. Apparently, four in ten people admit to taste testing their pet foods whether it's for cats or dogs. Could you explain that? Well, actually, I'd like you to explain how you can relate to that, first of all, because that's a little disconcerting. But, uh, that, yeah, that was one. So it, basically the story, like, going over all these different, um, uh, like, similarities and things they're finding consistently. So not, they were saying, no, people tend to research the foods that they give their pets prior to uh, putting them on a new one or starting a new diet. Okay, so in which I understand that. Now, I'm not quite sure, and they, they outline, like, oh, treats and things like that. I personally can't ever envision wanting to be testing out animal food. I'm not quite sure. <laughs> like, I, I would find that kind of odd, but 
Uh, the other part of it that they were um, mentioning, too, was that uh, average pet owners, say they catch their animals, their pets, eating something they shouldn't be eating, like up to four times a day. So now this is another one that kind of got me, too, right? Because I'm thinking, well, dogs, you know, they're, you know, they tend to just grab strange things, but... I'm just trying to, you know, think like how, you know, we have our our house like so cat proof that there's nothing they can get into. So I'm not quite sure, you know, what type of stuff these, but I'd be curious like what, if people have this stuff, like, you know, the obvious things like, oh, knocking over the trash um, to try to get foods that that maybe are in there. (laughs) So something like that. But I'm trying to think what else could, could animals be getting into that otherwise isn't covered up or closed. I mean, I know our cats know how to open up. Uh, the cupboards and doors. So like, I'm very mindful of anything that's left anywhere with them. Well, you know, interesting, when I was the key man uh, in charge of a crew that was packing out an AMP, a large store with 14 aisles on uh, Forster Avenue and Rockaway uh, Parkway across from the 69th Precinct in Canarsie, uh, my shift would go from 11 at night uh, to like uh, 7 in the morning. And during the breaks, uh, we would have challenges because it was a mostly male crew. And the challenge was uh, in packing out the pet food aisle because uh, there was a lot of activity in the pet food aisle. Uh, sometimes people bought more food for pets than they did for people. But we would have the challenge. We would lay out the Dash dog food and the Alpo dog food, and we would say, who wants to test taste it on some okay. rich crackers? <laughs> now, Alpo was bad enough, but Dash Dog Food, you would get four cans for a dollar, and it was always on the bottom shelf. And, I mean, when you opened that can, it was nasty. (laughs) But I had to be the ultimate machismo guy because I was in charge. I was the key man. So I would devour a... uh, a few slabs of Ritz Cracker in which they would spread Dash Dog Food on it, and I would gulp it down and keep it down. Yeah, it's all its all sort of coming together now while you have so many uh, gastro problems. Oh, and then when I was traveling, organizing Guardian Angels, uh, and we didn't have much money, we were barnstorming all over the country, we oh, would gosh. get the little cans of the Armor Meat Spread, okay, w- which was almost similar to Dash Dog Food. And we would take it and we would spread it ever so thinly on a saltine cracker. And that would be our meal. And let me tell you something. If given the choice between the armor meat spread and the dash dog food, I think I'd take the dash dog food. <laughs> that's, that's good to know. That's good to know. Now, next subject, reef burials. What are they talking about? Oh, oh, so, oh so this is a new trend. Well, with um, people, you know, like having um, who are cremated, right? So you think, okay, well, what do people want to do with the ashes, right? As opposed to just keeping them in the urns. And uh, it's like a bio-friendly and a way to sort of um, create like new coral reef habitats in uh, different areas of the waterway that uh, where they're declining in numbers. And then these become uh, sort of a proliferation for the uh, the fish population because you know they they tend to sort of congregate in there so uh, so now they have this service being offered by a company where uh, the their remains can be incorporated into these coral reef um, uh, rock placements that are you know put underwater to basically uh, you know 
repopulate the coral reefs. And so I think that's a fantastic idea. Now, I thought, wait a second, because you have a choice now. If I kick the bucket (laughs) first, which is likely since I'm 67 and you're 20-something or 30-something, we still don't have any idea how old you are like Frank Morano. But if I kick the bucket first, uh, part of you says you want me frozen like Ted Williams. Your other part wants me stuffed as if I were an animal that was being stuffed by a hunter. And now the other part of you is saying maybe you would want to have me in a reef burial. Yeah, I think um, I'm, I'm still gonna. Uh, I'm still partial to the stuffing because it would be tough, I think, to visit you as, as a coral reef. Um, so yeah, and then if you're frozen, I mean, I can't unfreeze you, and I probably it'd be too cold to to visit you in the the big freezer. So. Yeah, I'm still partial toward the stuffing. Now, would you stuff me with stovetop stuffing or rice and the San Francisco treat? I think it's like a straw, right? Like scarecrows and stuff. Oh, oh, that's good to know. <laughs> that's good to know. Now, up next, we see that the billionaire Carl Icahn, who uh, Wall Street was created, the whole Oliver Stone movie was based on Carl Icahn uh, when you saw Michael Douglas in that. Uh, but apparently he's taking on uh, the spirit of Ray Kroc, Mickey D's, the Golden Arches. And what's the issue? Is he trying a hostile takeover of McDonald's? No, I, I, I think he's he's doing something more in, you know, just, I mean, again, like a, a generic sort of gesture. Uh, nothing, I think, that he's really trying to seriously impact. Maybe he's just trying to gain some leverage otherwise, but he owns an extremely like a very, very small stake in the McDonald's Corporation. And uh, supposedly he's trying to uh, do something in honor of his daughter, who's a vegan and animal rights activist. And it relates to um, a regulation they had um, put in place about 10 years ago, where by the end of this year, they were supposed to be uh, treating more humanely the uh, female pigs when they're pregnant, right? Because they're like pregnant for like a four-month time period. It's, I mean, and, and because currently what they do is they keep them in a, a small crate um, as opposed to keeping them in like, I guess, like the general population, for lack of a better term. And, well, supposedly, oh, they're they're social creatures, so it's not, it's, you know, it's it's inhumane to be doing that. I mean, first of all, I think, obviously, if you wanted to make any sort of impact, he would be, trying to completely take that out of the equation to begin with. So, I mean, you have this this corporation that, that last year alone, I think, made like $23 billion in profit, and they're trying to allege that, oh, we're, we're trying to tr- uh, treat the animals more humanely, like, you know, source from more humanely um, cared for piglets and pigs. But, you know, and at the same time, they're coming out with their, I don't know if you, I think I might have mentioned this to you, but they, like their new burger which is like they call it the land, air, and sea burger. So it's like the McChicken, the Big Mac, and the filet of fish all in one. Like they're sort of compounding the problem by just doubling down on the amount of animal meats they're using as opposed to shifting toward, um, you know, more organic plant-based alternatives, which given what a huge company they are, I mean, think how much, I mean, they could make a real impact if they wanted to, and they do have the resources and ability to, going a different direction. Now, I mean, yeah. Now, question, Nancy. Uh, what is that new uh, sandwich offering that Mickey D's oh. has, the triple decker? What is that? Yeah, it's 
called they call it the Land, Air, and Sea Burger. So it's all on top of it's a fillet of fish, a McChicken, and a Big Mac all in one burger. Like it's all together. I mean, it's like a walking heart attack. Let me let me suggest that we test out Mayor oh, Eric okay. Adams, who uh, <laughs> has gone from stating he was a vegan to occasionally eating fish mm-hmm. with his veg- uh, vegetarian meals. We should actually have a camera trained on Eric Adams. We should leave out, uh, what does they call that again, that triple-decker? The, the land, air, and sea burger. All right, we leave that out there at City Hall, <laughs> and then we leave a bowl of salad out there and see which uh, meal product that Eric Adams snacks off of. A little undercover operation. I like it. Yeah, I have a feeling he's going to go for the Mickey D's. Wow. <laughs> a fish filet, a mixed chicken, and a burger. All three of them stacked together. I don't even understand how that combination makes any sense. It's They're just such very different things. I don't, I don't, I don't get it. Um I'm confused. I wonder how many of these things are selling at this point. Well, I'll find out. <laughs> I'll, uh, when I when I pass by Mickey D's, I'll ask him if it's selling, you know, if they're really moving that product. And then lastly, before we go to the phones, wow, this is a, a real tearjerker. A California dog was reunited in its home 12 years later? Yeah, so uh, the, uh, a couple had adopted uh, two puppies and they were like about six months old and they only had them for six months when one of them um ran away you know got out somehow and a couple weeks ago they actually uh had picked this dog up because it had been left on someone's property someone came by in a car and like just left this dog so the property owners called uh you know the dog didn't seem like it was in super good condition and when they brought it to the the local shelter, they did a scan, and it had a microchip in it that had a registration where they were able to get this woman's number. And so, I mean, I saw the you know the reunion video they had. I mean, it's you know it's hard to tell because obviously that's an incredible long amount of time that you know this dog was gone, and you know they had it for such a short period of time. So it's hard to tell whether the dog didn't remember. Um, the owner, or if it's just that, you know, maybe it's in such a poor condition now, so it was, you know, sort of like under the weather, but, um, you know, like in a, in a sense, that's good, because I'm sure that now whatever medical uh, treatments this dog does need, uh, these people are going to be very inclined to do it, just given, you know, the circumstances in which they recovered the dog, but, you know, it, it's always interesting to me, they have this uh, uh, this requirement in the city shelter, where every single animal um, gets microchips. Now, you know, uh, the microchip is only, you know, good to a certain extent. And I mean, obviously the big problem with it is it requires the animal um, being somewhere where there would be a reason for it to be scanned. And, you know, also then having like, you know, sort of up-to-date records, like where you can actually uh, trace it back. Because a lot of these things, when they give you the animal with the microchip, it's uh, like a paid-for type thing, so you have to, like, sort of um, subscribe or something like that. But um, I think if they started making the technology more like GPS, that would be, I mean, such a game-changer for, you know, instead of doing this basically kind of pointless in many ways, the microchip, because you could pinpoint where your animal was, 
and you wouldn't have these, you know, um, lapses in time. And if if animals ran away, you'd know exactly where they were. Or if someone stole them, which happens sometimes with these animals, you could find. So, I mean, I think th- that um, would be such a game changer for for keeping animals with their their, their owners. Let's go to the phones. First up in the queue in the Animal Welfare Hour featuring uh, my wife, Nancy, animal uh, rescuer. It's Big Julie from Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Big Julie. Good evening, everybody. How you doing, folks? And thank you for all your help with the animals. I just want to tell you a little something about myself over here. I take, I find cats, rats, uh, pigeons, and seagulls, and I take care of all of them because all animals have rights. And I just want to ask you a question. There's, they've been stealing pigeons, and they're selling them to people in Pennsylvania. And it seems to be that nobody can do anything. I mean, can you send some of the angels out there, Curtis, to keep an eye on them? Because I don't see my pigeons around anymore, and I thought I'd seen a character the other day. I tell you the truth. I get the old Louisville slugger. I'll let him have it. You know what I'm saying? I give him some of his own treatment, you know? I mean, what are we going to do about this? I mean, they're stealing our pigeons, too. Can you imagine New York not having a pigeon? That's like not having the Empire State Building. It's all part of New York. They got their rights, too. You know what I'm saying? What can we do? Well, Big Julie, I discussed it not only with my wife, Nancy, because both of us go out and feed the pigeons that many people refer to as rats with wings. They don't like them. Uh, I spoke with our owner-operator here, a real animal lover, John Katsimatidis, uh, who marvels at the pigeons that follow me from our Upper West Side apartment here to our broadcast facility. Sometimes there's like 100 following me because they follow the Red Beret, and I feed them. Uh, But you're right. There are individuals who come in unmarked vans. They gather up uh, pigeons. They bring them to Pennsylvania so hunters, instead of shooting the clay Uh pigeons with their shotguns, shoot these real pigeons and pay money in order to do that. Uh, so you're right. I'm I'm starting to think uh-huh. of organizing a animal protection division team of guardian angels that will go around and make sure that we prevent uh, these uh, kidnappers from taking our yeah. pigeons out into the fields of Pennsylvania to release them so that hunters can pay a premium price to shoot real pigeons instead of clay pigeons. Unbelievable, unbelievable how people do that to animals. We've got to start taking some of these criminals out to PA. Let them use some of them for, for some live bait. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I mean, I thought of it many a times. You know, let's give them a chance. You know, listen, if you can make it over the side of the mountain, you can go free. I think that's a fair deal on parole and all that stuff. What do you say? Uh, that, and, you like know, some of that. Yeah, and some of them would take you up on that. Some of them would say, oh, you mean if I break free, if I can run across the mountainside, Without getting shot, I'm free and clear. I'm not on parole. I'm not on probation. Uh, my record is wiped clean. I, I'd like to make that deal with some of these, especially these vicious predators who are behind bars. But anyway, from Big Julie in Brooklyn, let's go to Rich in Long Island. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Richie Rich. Hi, Nance. Uh, Hi. I love your show. I love Curtis' show. I listen to him all the time. And this part is, is the jewel of the show. And I just wanted – I got a question for you on my cat. You're gonna, I think you'll get a kick out of this since you've got 16 cats. My, my cat, I got one cat. I had a dog. She passed. And I got a, I got a parrot. So, of course, they all buy for my time. So, anyway, when the cat gets her time, I'm petting her. Just petting her nice. And all of a sudden, she just take a little nosh on you, like a, a nibble on you, bite you. But 
not bright the skin or anything. Have you ever come across that with your cat? Yeah, there, there is um, there, there's something where, in effect, like when you're petting them, it's like they like it, but then it overstimulates them, and then so what happens oh. is as yeah, as a response, they don't really know what to do, so they gotcha. they that's like I mean, and and that happens to me sometimes. So we have this one cat, Athena, where she'll be like completely trying to get your attention. And then within, like, two minutes, she's, like, already kind of yelling at you with, like, sorry, enough, like, stop. So it's funny how you you, you sometimes monitor them. And I would say um, the good thing is, like, as long as you, uh, like, let's see, if you're petting them by the head area, but anytime you start going, like, near the belly or the back, it's, like, that tends to be, like, a really sensitive area for them. So, yeah, if you, I think if you concentrate it toward, like, the, the ears and under the chin, that usually doesn't um, bother them as much. But, yeah, anywhere, like, in the middle of the body, <laughs> it, it potentially could be too much. Oh, absolutely. And that's what I've been doing. It's a great answer. I appreciate it. And I've been concentrating on around the ears, below the ears, and she's been doing better. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> great, Rich. Meantime, let's flip the script to Troy in Mountain Lake, New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Troy. Yeah, Curtis. Let me go back one story. The Godfather movie is an anti-Semitic depiction of Jewish people and Jewish. Anti-Semitic. <laughs> Out of all the things I've ever seen in The Godfather, <laughs> I guess I missed that scene. Anyway, uh, let's go, if we can, to uh, Kenny, who's calling from Oyster Bay. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Kenny. He's related to Mo Green. Hey, my friend bought. Let's go to Joanne calling from Farmingdale. Your turn to be heard here at WABC with Nancy, our cat rescuer here on WABC, Joanne. Hi. I, I'm not going to say how you're feeling because you're not allowed to. But <laughs> congratulations on um, your birthday coming up and the guardian angels and everything. But I just wanted to let you know that you had stated way when you started with the godfather and the cat thing on his lap and everything, and you you had said that feral cats don't, you know, let you sit, you know, they they won't let you, like, touch them, never mind sit on your lap. Okay. However, I have a studio apartment in... Um, in a kind of uh, uh, co-op in Farmingdale, and I'm from Plainview also. Okay, that's another story. But there were, I used to watch cats outside, okay, all these cats having litters and this and that, and the super that we used to have killed, murdered five kittens that that were born to this, black and white cat that we named, my girlfriend and I, that used to, she used to live here, named Sweetie Pie. She survived Sandy. Okay, she survived everything. And she had a brother, and we named, he was orange, so we named him Rusty. Okay, but anyway, this cat, okay, was so smart. My girlfriend used to, the orange one, used to sit on her lap on the back stairwell. Sit on her lap with several cats. They were feral cats. Now, uh, Nancy, is that a possibility that if they were really feral, they would be sitting on the lap 
of a oh, human being? I, yeah, no, absolutely. Because the the ones who like um, that I first started off uh, taking care of in Sunset Park, I knew them their entire lives, and they were so comfortable with me that when I would go outside, if I would be sitting down, like on the ground, uh, there was a couple that would actually come up onto my lap. Now, the funny thing is, um, you know, once or twice when, like, either they had something where I, I had to fix them, they were indoors for a little bit, I was thinking, well, they're so friendly outside that maybe I could transition them inside, and so this way they wouldn't have to be out there. But the minute they would get inside, they would just be totally petrified. But outside, they would be great. So it's like I can definitely attest to the fact that um, the ones that I – you know, were caring for for like years on end. They knew me well enough where they would do that. Um, but the thing is, I could I could never get them inside the house. They it would just total like flip in their personality. Let's go to Tommy in Brooklyn. Uh, your turn to be heard here with Nancy Sliwa on the Animal Welfare Hour on WABC. Tommy. Good morning, Curtis, and morning, Nancy. Uh, last week I had a call that I was looking for a vet, and uh, in Queens or something like that. I noticed a place called Blue Pearl. I think it's on 74th Street, right off Queens Boulevard. That's a really good vet. They do neutering. And um, if you have the TNR certification, they give you a really good discount. So does Howard Beach as well. Um, yeah, yeah, now, Blue, now, now Blue for Pearl is a, is, a, is a good one. Um, and they also, I know that that's um, a place where a lot of times if animals have, um, like, yeah. the medical, any medical issues, they have, like, pretty much all of the facilities set up to do anything where, like, emergency uh, type of services. So, yeah, they're they're really yeah. good um, if you need someone. Now, if you can explain, uh, Nancy, what the TNR is for those who are not uh, cognoscentes when it comes to uh, cats. Yeah, it's, um, it's a, a trap-neuter return. So um, related to the feral cats, uh, you you trap them. So you, you get the big um, trapping cages. You know, you put the food out. They go in. The cage closes behind them. Um, you bring them to the uh, the vet. They get um, uh, spayed or neutered. They get all their shots. Um, they also do something called ear tipping. So this way, this is an indication that a cat is um, a feral cat, a cat that's going to be back outside. So if you're ever trying to, you know, uh, get cats again or if someone's ever curious, they would know, oh, this is a fixed cat. So they don't have to worry about that cat need, needs to be got. But the whole key is the return part. So, um, you know, I mean, this is, and this is the idea, um, the earlier caller who was mentioning how, um, you know, some of the cats in, in her area, the, the super or whoever had, like, poisoned the cats. Um, the, the biggest thing is really explaining this hurdle to people, because even when people don't like the cats, you have to explain to them that, you know, you have an area that's heavily populated with um, feral cat populations. You're not going to accomplish anything by removing a few individual cats, because all you're doing is creating a vacuum and then other cats in the surrounding areas, they just, you know, take its place and, you know, and without them being fixed. So by fixing them, they basically become like these placeholders where they stay in the area. That's what they do. They're territorial. They're not going to continue to procreate. They're going to have um, less of the um, nuisance behavior that people, you know, find annoying with the outdoor cats, like the spraying being a big one when they're not fixed. And they won't continue to have all the kittens. So they, and they, you know, their personality becomes different too. You know, you don't, no screaming, no yelling, things like that. So um, it, it is important, even if you don't like cats, 
to um, like if people don't like them to try to explain to them why this is so helpful and important and why it needs to be done. Let's go to Barbara calling from Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Hour at WABC, Barbara. Hi, Curtis and Nancy. I love knowing that the two of you are, are together. You're two of my favorite people. <laughs> Thank well, you. Yeah, along with my family. Anyway, um, the reason I'm calling is that this afternoon on the Internet, I was reading the Daily Mail, you know, that British newspaper, and they have all kinds of uh, information. This was about what's happening in the Ukraine, and it was an article about three countries that are allowing people who are escaping from the Ukraine with their animals to bring the animals into the country without the preliminary rules and regulations that you have to follow. You know, and you're visiting uh, Poland, Hungary, and Romania. Uh, When I was reading the article, it was three countries. I don't know, maybe other ones in Europe have also... uh, are also uh, taking this action. But since you're so interested in doing so much with the cats, um, both of you, both of you, I thought you'd be interested in that and, um, you know, maybe take part in some way with that. I admire those three countries who are welcoming the, the poor people, you know, the refugees, along with their cats and dogs. It is uh, amazing, Barbara, uh, to see all the video of uh, Ukrainians fleeing uh, and having uh, in their company their dogs and their cats, Nancy. Yeah, and and also um, the number of uh, people who take part in caring for uh, animals, either through like the shelters or the outdoor animals, who are refusing, you know, they're not leaving because they realize if they leave, there's no one there to take care of the animals. I mean... Again, clearly, uh, this I love this um, priority, you know, being put on this. Like, like um, Barbara was saying, like the ability for people to be able to get into the countries with these pets and they're not being hurdles. I mean, you have people in the United States when you know, like, um, going into shelters who are denied bringing a pet into the shelter with them. You know, including like domestic, um, you know, women of, of domestic violence. I mean, there's a big thing where they they recently have like one or two of the shelters now that permit that, but, you know, women sometimes will stay in in the, you know, in a bad situation because they can't bring their pet and they don't want anything to happen to their pet. I mean, so to think how willingly, you know, these countries are opening their arms not only to the people, but to their pets, I think that is such a great story. And it's, yeah, thank you for sharing that. Uh, Let's go to Robert in Manhattan. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Robert. Hello. Uh, The uh, America's Got Talent and the shows they have in Las Vegas have all these amazingly trained cats. How do they do it? Well, the the way that I've seen um, like, uh, how how people train the cats, they t- they tend to use like a clicker type thing. So they'll have um, a certain thing, uh, like let's say if they they're trying to get them to walk through a, a hoop or something. So then they they incentivize them with a treat, and then as soon as they and then as they're walking through, they're like. They're clicking on the clicker. So I think that's the the main training, how they do it. They sort of um, associate the clicking sound with a reward at the end of it, and then just do the repetition. They get them to, you know, sort of uh, behave accordingly. But, yeah, I mean, I, when, I, I mean I, when I see this stuff with the cats, I'm just, like, I'm very blown away, too, because the dogs, to me, they, it makes a little more sense. I, I would think it would be harder to, to train a cat, but... Um, 
Yeah, clickers is the way that they that I've seen them do it with the cats. Let's go to Corey in Manhattan Beach. Uh, welcome to the Animal Welfare Hour with uh, Nancy Schliewa, Corey. Hey, guys. Uh, just wanted to thank you, and especially Nancy. Uh, I talk to you all the time, Curtis. You, Curtis, are like uh, you and uh, Bernard Getz and now Nancy are like living embodiments of heroes. But anyway, let me get past that. Um I've had my dog stolen, or let's say dog napped from me, down in Hollywood, Florida. I was living down there. Um, basically, I was told it's a piece of property, and, you know, uh, if you don't have evidence that these people took the dog, because I don't know, it was somebody next door. She was a Frenchie. So she would just, you know, she was running around. It was nice afternoon, and somebody picked her up. And um wasn't like a oh, missing person or even if they did catch the person. Then I had to give them papers that I'm the owner and all of this. And it was just, it's ridiculous. And I think the laws need to be way in, you know, these these should be treated as living beings, not pieces of property. Well, we've uh, we've had reports uh, of dog napping before, Nancy. What what uh, can a person do if any of their pets uh, uh, are uh, basically uh, kidnapped? Uh, you know, that's that's um, a really tough one, and exactly for for the reason that you're stating uh, the fact that they're considered property. So. It's uh, not really high priority. Um, again, in, in this situation, like if you have any idea of who it may be, um, I, I think that's where, again, I don't know how, you know, maybe it's like sort of trying to, uh, I, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if I really want to say it exactly, but I mean, you, you kind of have to, uh, I think, just deal with it yourself to, as best you can. Um I don't know, again, what the reasons are that sometimes people take animals, but if you can get them to relinquish it back to you, um, you know, I think you can probably, uh, you know, uh, get some some people to help you out to explain to them that what they did was a really bad thing and that you're going to, you know, you know, get get some people on on, onto the case if... uh, you know, they don't give, you know, that's what, I mean, at this point, I feel like you almost have to do a little bit of rough justice because the laws aren't on your side when it comes to this. And that's that's really the problem. Um, I mean, I hate to say it that way, but I don't I mean, it's uh, it's a problem. Let's go to Jeff in Queens. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Jeff. Yeah. Hi, how's it going? Uh, so regarding uh, kill shelters and no kill shelters, um is it is it essentially supporting like the whole business uh, when you go to a kill shelter because I mean they get encouraged to get more uh, cats and dogs or whatever and I mean they do kill them if nobody uh, takes them in a certain amount of time and they also charge you a fee so I mean are they is it essentially supporting that business? You know I I would say I would say ultimately no only because I don't think there's ever a shortage of animals for them to bring in. And so I think it's, you know, I think you're only doing a good thing if you are taking the animals from them because, you know, there's such a high likelihood at these kill shelters that they put them down. And this is really the problem. Um, once 
a lot. I mean, there are certain cities uh, throughout the United States that, and and a lot of um, you know nonprofit organizations like different groups where they um, don't kill the animals. So in a sense, you know, you'd say okay, it's better to maybe go to those places. I don't think it's supporting the system though, because the problem is no matter what the the city consistently budgets that amount of money for them. There continues to be very little oversight. So. If anything, you're doing something good because you're taking an animal out of probably one of the worst situations it can be in. So, yeah, I mean, until they stop funding them or they actually start enforcing and making it where they are no kill shelters, I'd say it's still a good idea to try to just take it, take them out whenever possible. Now, Nancy, if people uh, needed to get in touch with you because we have a full board of calls, obviously we won't be able to get to all of these folks. If they have any questions or need any information how can they get in touch with you until the next time we're together, which is next Sunday into Monday, same time, same place, or you could get it on the podcast of this program, the Animal Welfare Hour. How can they stay in touch with you? Well, they uh, they can email me, uh, nancy at guardianangels.org. Um, that just, you know, I get, I, I'm on that all the time. So nancy at guardianangels.org, um, and I can get back to you. Do appreciate it once again. Uh, so many people interested. It is the most uh, highly looked forward to uh, hour of the 20 hours that I do on the weekends when WABC basically becomes uh, always broadcasting Curtis, uh, whether it is uh, the overnight uh, show, the other side of midnight I do on Saturday morning, or then the uh, show I do with Anthony Weiner Saturday afternoon from 2 to 4, or then the other side of midnight that I do on uh, early Sunday morning from 12 to 6, or the uh, left versus right that I do with the aggressive progressive Christopher Hahn 3 to 5, as I did earlier today, or as I wrap up the weekend uh, with the uh, program that starts at 9, uh, we go to 12, then we do our animal welfare roundup from 12 to 1 with Nancy, and then I turn over the microphones to the Mamaluke, the Mangalucha, and the uh, Mashad. Frank Morano. So, yeah, just go to WABCradio.com. Uh, hit that tab, uh, Guardian Angel Animal Perfection, uh, Protection Division, and Nancy will get back to you. Uh, so, once again, a great animal uh, hour, welfare hour. Uh, let's continue with this. And uh, coming up, we're going to be doing a special podcast in which we're actually going to have animals in the studio in which we uh, not only talk about all the uh, issues related to animal care, animal protection, but also what uh, people who are raising the animals and living with the animals can actually do to better their environment. 1-800-848-9222. Check this out. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. Now, you know, uh, Frank Morano, I'd be more than happy to lease out this song to you for a fee, of course, uh, that would go to the preservation of uh, animals. You know, it wouldn't go to me personally, Wonderful. but you could uh, you could use this if you would like this David Crosby song. Uh, maybe we will. We'll throw it into the rotation. Oh, excellent. Now, uh, Frank Morano, you, along with so many others here, uh, prognosticators, uh, had to end up uh, acknowledging that you were wrong, O'Reilly was wrong. I don't know if others acknowledges, uh, acknowledged how wrong they were about Vladimir Putin. 
But what possessed you not to think that he was going to do what he basically was saying he was going to do, which was invade uh, Ukraine? Well, well, I'm going to get into this uh, with some detail at uh, 2.15 or so with Colonel Douglas McGregor, who has been studying this issue for a long time. We're going to get into this. But essentially, uh, one... I it didn't make any sense for Putin to do it. It was completely in addition to being criminal uh, and a violation of international law. It it was totally irrational because once Biden and Zelensky and Germany all said under no circumstances are we sending troops to Ukraine, then um, essentially what Putin's beef was, was he didn't want NATO expanding to its borders, to Russia's borders, which I agree with makes it, it. You know, I'd be concerned about that, too, if I were Putin. Now, once the the reason you don't want to do that is because once a NATO country is attacked and they invoke their Article five treaty obligation, then all the other NATO countries have to send in troops. So if Biden and the other NATO countries are already saying under no circumstances are we sending in troops and Ukraine's not even a member of NATO, then obviously that makes the case moot for NATO membership. If they're not going to send in troops now. I think it is incredibly unlikely that they would do it under, uh, you know, we would continue to push for a NATO certification. And if they're not going to push for a NATO certification for Ukraine, chances are they wouldn't go to Ukraine's west uh, to other countries like uh, like like Georgia. So, so it made no sense. But, it's and I think it still makes no sense. Well, it made no sense. Our invasion uh, attempt to do regime change with Saddam Hussein in Iraq. Many people said it was personal. Uh, because Bush 43 wanted to get at Saddam Hussein for setting up an assassination plot of Bush 41, his father, when he was to visit Kuwait. And Saddam Hussein had set up what would have been an assassination attempt. Many people said that's why we went to war. Could it be that this is personal, that Vladimir Putin just hates the king of all comedy? Uh, Zelensky has no respect for him and wants uh, just to do a regime change. I don't think so. But honestly, I'm done guessing in terms of Vladimir Putin's psychology. I I think there's no telling, uh, you know, what drives him at the moment. There are a lot of theories that during the pandemic, uh, Putin has become increasingly isolated. And there are some people raising concerns about his mental health. I'm going to get into this with Colonel McGregor, though, in the two o'clock hour. He is uh, much more well-versed. On this can, issue, can you ask one question of uh, Colonel McGregor? Yes, I will. Why is it when uh, Putin does these uh, public video sessions, and I love it when he took his uh, uh, national director of uh, intelligence and he pimp slapped him around? Yeah, it was very Trumpian, right? Exactly. Yeah. But I notice he's got like seven, eight old-style phones surrounding yeah, his I like desk. That. I, I wish more of our callers would take a cue from Putin and have those old-style phones and call us on them. It's much better than the kind of the cell phones that you can't understand anybody on. Now, aren't, don't you marvel at the fact that a week ago, a person couldn't find Ukraine on the map. Right. Now they're ready to fight and die for Ukraine. Yes. If you put up three flags, one of them being the American flag, the other two not, it's more than likely that a person could not pick out the Ukrainian flag. But now all of a sudden, the Ukraine, one of the most corrupt countries in the world, regardless of whether they're pro-Western or pro-Russian. Sure. I mean, Manafort, corrupt. Uh, uh, then you had Burisma and Hunter Biden. It's a sea of corruption. How we want to pour billions of dollars. Well, I don't. 
Uh, but yes, there are others that do, and but it does. Give it to it the does. elected officials uh, there who have all proven to be crooks. Yeah. Well, uh, look, uh, I, I think that um, sanctions are likely to be ineffective. I'm hoping we can tamp down the tensions and uh, get some sort of a peaceful. Uh, end to this, but uh, it's not now, looking uh, good at the moment. Frank, are you willing to make the commitment? Because I know you're probably up for taking a uh, trip to your beloved Atlantic City. Yes, I am up for that. As you go over the Outer Bridge Crossing to the New Jersey Turnpike and then down the Garden State Parkway to the Atlantic City Expressway, right. you will see a number of Luke Oil yes. uh, gas stations at the rest stops. Uh, many of our people profess ignorance that they had no idea was owned by Vladimir Putin in Russia since 2000, Luke Oil. Will you swear that even if you were running out of gas and you weren't able to make it to the crap tables because of that, that you will not fill up at Luke Oil? Look, uh, I will not swear that even if I'm running out of gas that I will not fill up on Luke Oil. I will say if I have a a choice of a company that uses Gasoline that's uh, it made from American oil. I will absolutely no. choose that. I will say though, a couple things. Yes. By the way, you know, you know who's going to join me in just four minutes Ooh, is uh, your former dentist Jeffrey Gurian. Oh here. no, that's right. Oh no, the only people I'm ever afraid of in the world. That's right, Dennis. That's right. Uh, he's going to be here. And I was listening to that. You know, I listen. I've listened to a good bit of your program over the weekend. And, you know, initially I make a list of the things that I want to bring up with you, and then I end up throwing the list away because it gets so voluminous that there are so many inaccuracies that I I can't deal. But a couple of things struck me. One, you were just talking to your wife, Nancy. Great segment, by the way, and I could see why it's so highly rated. But you said, I'll see, you know, when the next time I see you, which is next Sunday at midnight, are you really not going to see your wife? Between now and next Sunday at midnight? Well, at the rate I'm going, right, with all the hours I do on the radio, at least on the weekend, and then, as you know, there's the Republican State Convention. Yes. i got to camp out there. I'm going to have battles out in Garden City. Yeah. My it's, guest tomorrow, by the way, is going to be Andrew Giuliani. Oh, excellent, excellent. Yeah. But I don't have credentials to go. Can you believe this? I was the Republican mayoral candidate. That's the smartest thing the Republicans have ever done is to decredential you. And they may lock me out. Also, Curtis, before yes. we run out of time here. I have been trying to get this guy, Stuart, his $2,000 back that you said you were sending back to him. Pretty soon we're going to have to take up a collection for this guy. This was a donor that you dissed publicly on the air. And he's been asking me daily, please try to get this money back from Curtis. You said you would send it back. Where is that money? Curtis? Well, you're going to have to. It's speak. easier to find the Thrive New York money than it is to find poor yeah, Stewart's you're, you're contribution. Gonna, you're going to have to uh, talk to the treasurer of the campaign fund, as you know, a fellow Staten Islander, to see if he can get it back. And you know what, Stuart? Tough noogies on you! Does that say it all there, Frank? I'm trying, Stuart. We'll do a GoFundMe for you if, if Curtis dips you.